welcome to the very first podcast yet to be titled. No name yet. No name. We're going to turn to you guys for that. I'm Abadesi of Hustle Group. I'm Michael, co-founder of People of Colour in Tech. Yay. So what brings us together? I don't know, actually. I interviewed you on the podcast on People of Colour in Tech about a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago, yeah. Yeah, and then... We just maintain a friendship and now here we are. Doing the rest a podcast. is history. Hopefully entertaining history. This section is basically a roundup of everything that's been going on in tech and startup news. Um, some of the things that have caught our eye. Um, highlights and lowlights. Basically, yeah. You start. <laughs> I'll start. The first one, I guess, is the whole Elon Musk firing a rocket into space and, and a bloody car he into did, space. He didn't just man. fire a rocket, though. He had to put one of his own cars on the rocket and like send that greatest, to Mars. It's the greatest advert of all time for a car. Don't you find that amazing? Like, it's his own car, <laughs> and he's like, let me do an advert for my own car. Just throw it to space, and, and like, people are watching it on YouTube, and you can't miss it. It's ingenious. I definitely think it's amazing, but I don't know if it's, like, the woman in me or the cynic in me or the person in me that's like, isn't there just going to be some planet, like, hundreds of years down the line so that has some a red car just going f- big-ass red car flying by going, who the hell did yeah, that? Yeah, it's a legacy. That's what you call but, legacy. Like, but that's, that's the thing. That's, it's that's like, like, can you imagine that? He's going to live forever, essentially, through that car. But it's like, why does he need to live forever? Why does he need to? I just find it, like, one of the most, like... Arrogant macho, just... arrogant things. Like, yeah, I'm just going to shoot <laughs> one of my cars into space. Like, why not? I'm just like, why not? But why? I don't know, man. He's just... He's a he's a he's a divisive figure. I see a lot of people like on Black Twitter kind of pushing back on him. They think there's too much emphasis on. That's Elon. just because black people don't like white South Africans. Yeah, <laughs> just generally as yeah, a rule. Yeah. Someone there's described a him as like there. there was one article they described him as African American. Oh. <laughs> and like someone had to be like, that's, that's, no, that's, don't work that way. That's not even. You can't be claimed as an African American. That's not even close. No, the thing is, so I I appreciate that there's actually some like scientific merit to that experiment experiment because you need to launch satellites into space and now yeah, yeah, we know yeah. that he's built the technology which previously has failed right he had loads of crashes they were like highly publicized now he's got this rocket that can take things into orbit and, and land. successfully land back it's pretty impressive come on that's amazing <laughs> and i will give the man that i'll give the man that but like it was also a bit ridiculous that of all the things he sent into space he had to pick one of like his teslas supposedly like they normally just throw a brick into space as a test essentially and <laughs> just by like, hand fuck it. yeah just, throw a just brick. by no, hand, by hand like, but, like, <laughs> see the, how far it, it goes. has to have a payload essentially okay the rocket. Yeah. so they chose a car this time but it is convenient that he also happens to have a car company like that's a great problem i'd love to have where we'll be like what are we gonna throw into space oh yeah i've got another company yeah let's do that do you so. know what i guess again like the cynic in me i'm gonna always be the bad cop on this I show gonna be the optimist the uplifting one but it's just like there are people that do not have a car to get from a to b in this world meanwhile but, so we're blasting we them the into space do you think we shouldn't have gone to the moon until we fixed jury's still out on whether we went to the moon <laughs> ah, okay so no, I'm joking, I'm joking. um that was a different time like that was, that was like the cold war that was the 50s and i get it but I do think it's this similar idea of like what I as a feminist would call a pissing contest where it's like now someone in Russia is going to be like, oh, I'm going to send yeah. like, you know, five bears into space and see Although how there were there. a lot of women and black women that did help NASA get to the moon. In fact, if you look at that show, um, the film Hidden Figures, Hidden Figures, that was, that was amazing. Fences, which is what people <laughs> were doing <laughs> during the Oscars, confusing the Denzel Washington film and this film. Anyways, I digress. So um, that was... Uh, there was a, a lot of black women that helped NASA get their shit into space, even though they didn't get a lot of credit for it at the time. Yes. And now they had a whole movie made about it, yada, yada, yada. But yes. 
I don't know, I'm conflicted. Because I think it is good for technology that these things are happening. But yeah. you're right, there are a lot of problems in the world that we should be fixing here on planet Earth. I sometimes feel that tech has a prioritization problem. That's, yeah, that's all true. I'm saying. Like, we have a prioritization problem. Like, okay, now we know we can get satellites and other things, other payloads into space. We still need more satellites in places where people don't have access to high-speed internet or even access to, like, mobile phones. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like, if you think about tech... Yeah. Like diversity and inclusion, which we do a lot of stuff on, right? Yeah. Like when do we actually think about like tech inclusion? So like what about the people who literally do not have access to internet, to a working you know what's scary, phone line? Though, is that That's scary. Facebook and Google are doing that. Like they, they're working on like sending like these low orbit like balloons for like Wi-Fi in certain areas. But obviously they have their own economic incentive. So what they're doing is, is that you can get Facebook really easily via those platforms, essentially. Yeah. So the people that will have internet won't there won't be the internet. We, me and you know, which is the open internet where you can go to any website, for example. Mm. It'll be very much pushing you towards going on Facebook or Google. Yeah. So how do you, what do you feel about that? Do you think it's, those people wouldn't have internet, mm. but the internet they are getting is very much a corporate internet that is basically promoting certain products. Is that... Is yeah, that a negative or a I positive? Think, like, no, I think that's like that was shady. That was shady as hell. And I remember like there was a huge backlash in India when Mark Zuckerberg went on his like whatever Kofi Annan UN piece yeah, yeah. for the world. He's shabby president. He's shabby yeah. president. He's president for real. You know, he goes to India and he's like, Yeah, we're gonna give you internet access, but it's gonna be the domains that we decide. And yeah. everyone was like, No, that's unacceptable. And I agree. Like I think People should have access to an open internet. But the reality is, like, open internet is under threat, right? Like, if yeah. you're following the U.S. politics, then yeah, you know yeah. that Trump does not believe in open internet. Um, and, you know, it's going to be, like, capitalized and controlled, like, everything else. So maybe in a way, if that's, like, inevitable, then we should, like, start talking about, like, other alternatives to the World Wide Web, which is something that has been debated before and is mm. still, like, a possibility. Because the internet is already closed, right? When I start typing stuff into Google, that algorithm is racist, it's patriarchal, it's driven by the types mm. of searches that have been conducted, like, before me, right? Yeah, and the, yeah. pre the precedent is not on my side as a woman of color. Like, remember, like, those, like, hilarious memes where people would type, like, are black people. Yeah, yeah, and you see some all and kind of madness And then just insert like, some negative yeah, stuff yeah. or, like, Even, are like, Muslim people. Google images, like, they will be, like... Google images, the algorithm would match black people with like monkeys, basically. Exactly. Yeah, so like, it's because there's no black people working in the like AI department. <laughs> yeah, the artificial intelligence departments. Right. So they're not there to flag shit up and be like, well, hold on, what about this kind of thing? Exactly. But what I mean by that is like, you're saying, okay, Facebook and Google are going to go fly in like whatever satellites, but mm. then restrict the access that you can get they're already restricting the access we can get. So if we were going around thinking, oh, my internet is free, then we are kidding ourselves. Because like, even though we're Devil's in London, advocate. the UK. Yeah. Devil's advocate. Nobody's forcing us to use Google. We could always use Bing. And whenever I watch films, everybody's using Bing for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Microsoft is paying a lot of these films to use Bing. But yeah. there is the alternatives. Whereas these uh, developing... I was going to use the third world country. Third world, I wouldn't say that. Developing world countries. Yeah. If you're a citizen in, in, in a nation where there is no internet or open internet, playing devil's advocate, isn't that better than even a corporate, isn't a corporate version of the corporate version better than the no internet, no at, internet all? at all? Yeah. I mean, I guess so. I guess it depends like what you want to achieve. And if they're literally in a blackout and have access to nothing, then something is better than nothing. And I guess it takes a lot to brainwash people, but yeah, I'm I not mean, saying I necessarily believe it. I just, I'm just throwing it out there as an idea where it's like, I don't think necessarily the governments of those countries are, in a hurry to sort to get these citizens open internet. Essentially, yeah. open internet goes against their interests because I guess people can organize and and dissent from government policies. For example, it makes mm. it easier. So 
It's difficult. As long as as long as the debate is happening where people are questioning the source of that free internet and also yeah. like questioning the extent of its openness. Because, you know, if someone can use that internet to go into Khan Academy or like Code Academy and start learning to code and start like empowering themselves with the tools for change, mm-hmm. then I'm all for it. But I don't want it to just be like an avenue for yeah. big corporates to exploit like I untapped mean, markets. And let's keep it wrong, most people are not using the internet for those kind of educational purposes. Well no, they're gonna log on to Amazon and like buy There's literally like five companies that do own the internet. Like it's Amazon, it's Facebook, mm. it's Google, Netflix perhaps as well, and I would say Microsoft. Who's the other one? I've forgotten. Apple, there we go. Oh uh, yeah. And those like they're known as the four essentially. Mm. And more times than not, whatever product or service we're using online, it's from one of them. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? If you're using WhatsApp or Instagram, you're thinking, you're not, most people are not necessarily thinking they're using a Facebook product, but they are. Of course. You know what I mean? So it's difficult, really. I think we just have to be, like, as ever, just, like, hyper-vigilant and just, like, not be lazy. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm lazy. Yeah. Like, Come sometimes... On, are, we're going to use the products that are there that are cheapest, that are free. Mm, exactly. But... At what point do we start thinking about like what we care about, our beliefs, our ethics, and like at what point do we start bringing them in? Mm. I think that that's something that like in general, as a species, human beings are like really, really bad at. And I like use myself as an example. Like it's when you have the opportunity to debate and mm. postulate and think and talk, you're all just like, yeah, here I am. I'm so high and mighty. I have all these opinions. But when you're online shopping and you get to the checkout, you're like, oh, okay, Amazon was a lot cheaper. Amazon Prime's free delivery, <laughs> Exactly. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I've been thinking about this a lot in the context of like black-owned business or like mm. businesses owned by like, you know, not the status quo, right? Yeah, so yeah. like, you know, not the monopoly man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really difficult because they're harder to find. I'm going to speak as a woman of color, for example. So, so for example, if I go on Instagram yeah. and I go on my Discover page, all I see are black-owned businesses, primarily because I follow, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, maybe I follow, like, a certain demographic of people, for example. But, yeah. like, I see so many people, like, making money off Instagram, for example, selling, you know, clothing, hair products, whatever, like. yeah. So to a certain extent, it does empower people. I feel like, I don't know, do you just, I don't think you don't necessarily agree. No, you? but like with everyday consumer products, probably, yeah. But if I want to buy a new laptop right now, how am I not going to be locked into the Apple ecosystem? Yeah, that's true. Or like when it comes to like hardware and the things I need in my day to day, like those are big ticket purchases. Like, okay, yeah, fine. I can go buy my Afro hair cream from that little stall down there. But like, I don't really see how that's making an impact. I want to be mm. putting money into stuff when I'm spending like, you know, almost a grand or like more than that. But mm. I don't know how mm. to do that. Um, speaking of lowlights, this is one of the lowlights that I had, finding out that Amazon have launched their own um, Afro hair beauty range. Yeah. Um, the reason it annoyed me was because I've really admired like the growth of like entrepreneurship from like identities where they feel that they are not currently yeah, served. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen a lot of like incredible uh, black British women and like um, just like women of African descent basically like coming out with all these incredible products. There've even been like acquisitions in this space. So like in America, there was a brand Carol's Daughter, which oh, did yeah, a lot yeah, yeah. of amazing stuff. But they got a lot of backlash for selling, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Which I, I, mean, which I like, I don't know. <laughs> the entrepreneur needs a payday. Like, well, uh, exactly. come on, let them be their queen. You know what I'm saying? Like, I guess, but I guess people are like, oh, it's another company going to like, you know, just generate corporate ownership. Yeah, that's so true. So it's like, but it's then, no longer for us by us in that sense. No, that's true. But like, you know, whatever. Like, I'm sure they had their own reasons. And the truth is, since that happened, a lot of businesses have spun out in its wake because yeah. the fact that there was an acquisition showed that there's promise and there's demand. But yeah. it really annoyed me that Amazon, like, you know, 15 years after people have been doing this, if yeah. not longer, suddenly go, oh, let's do our own Afro hair care line. And yeah. 
And based it, on what it, we're saying, was about it their own hairline or is it they're selling other products, but they have their own dedicated page to it? Or yes, it, they have their own. But it's only a matter page. of time before they're yeah. going to have their own stuff if they don't already, yeah, like true. Amazon Basics. Yeah. And I guess the reason it annoyed me was because, again, going to this point of like convenience, there are people who just default shop on Amazon. 100%. So they're now going to be them. like... I'm keeping it real. Yeah, exactly. So now it's like, oh, oh okay. So I don't need to like traipse all the way to like Peckham for that anymore. Well, there or there are like the e-commerce websites that were True. black owned that were dedicated towards, mm. um, you know, Afro hair. Um, it's interesting though, because in London, there's, there's always been... This conversation about how like a lot of the black hair hair stores are not necessarily owned by black people anyway. <laughs> to oh, a certain really? extent. Yeah, yeah. This is like a, a real like, predominantly um Southeast Asian people. I didn't know. Yeah, that. trust me, if you ever go, like and there was always some kind of backlash towards it, but you know, whatever. So but I did notice that online there was predominantly black owned hair mm, care stores. Definitely. And I wouldn't want wouldn't want to be them that morning when you open up your email and you see have you seen what Amazon's done and you're like oh yeah. that business <laughs> oh my god that's the fear that's that's everybody fears that day when, when Amazon yeah, when enters Amazon your or space Facebook or Google just copies your product you're just thinking oh for fuck's sake like there goes my exit strategy there goes my exit strategy yeah. or you just hope they buy you and just and uh, and whatnot but it's unlikely because mm. they just don't do that well they, there's less incentive for them to acquire Why you if they? they've launched their own line because in their mind they've probably already put the development and resources yeah, into yeah, it yeah. and like yeah it's difficult. I think it was a black woman though that did was in charge of that endeavor. Oh, okay. I saw people saying okay, that. Okay, cool. But you see, this is another thing. Like, I'm just gonna like go off on a sad, like, side tangent now. Please, go but on. when I worked at Amazon, they were always like, oh, "I forgot you worked at Amazon." Of course, I worked at Amazon. You were inside yeah. the belly of the beast. <laughs> I was in there. I was like in the Are trenches. Are you allowed to say this stuff? Like, this is not in your contract. Like, yeah, bad mouth, I my, signed an NDA. <laughs> I'm cashed out. I'm gone. I left. Um, but yeah, one of the things that always just like struck a little like nerve in my mind was that they would always say like you know we encourage entrepreneurship like if you have a great idea like incubate it within the company like tell us this blah 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 and I would just be sitting there being like but Jeff Bezos is already so rich yeah if I have a good idea why would I give that to him and people are like oh but you know like you can incubate an idea here we have all the resources we have this we have that and they're like yeah but you know, I kind of would rather just like own all a hundred percent of that course. myself because yeah, yeah. like I don't even own like a fraction of this company. Um, but yeah, I do find that like and the psychology question, of you were influence there, there. Yeah. Did anybody do that? And was anybody supported in the way that they said they were going to be supported? So was there funding given? Was there kind of anything like that? So like the most famous story of that is like the guy who founded AWS. Ah, okay. Um, so the guy who founded AWS was like an engineer, like in a completely different department this is before that even happened and amazon are really big um believers of like writing a press release so yeah. if you have an idea you write a press release as yeah. if the idea is already out there in the world and you're showcasing before you've done it anything. before you've done anything as an idea to say like what it is why people are excited about yeah, it yeah, how yeah. it's driving oh, it's value yeah it's, it's a good idea so anyway so this guy joined and he was like in one of the teams i can't remember exactly now but he basically noticed that there was a lot of like spare server capacity and he was like oh like we should do something about this and then i think one of the other departments like maybe like love film or one of the other companies were running low on space so he was like okay why don't you guys use some of our servers for your space and then a light bulb went off in his head and he's like hang on a minute this could be a business so he writes a press release all about amazon web services i don't think it was called that at the time but whatever the idea of it he gives that to his boss his boss gives it to his boss boom 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 boom. up the chain goes to jeff bezos he's like yeah boom i'm in now the most profitable part of their business that guy and he now leads aws with what ownership though 
I mean, it's, obviously, it wasn't, it wasn't his company, right? Is well, what I'm saying. Yeah, of course not. That's but what then, I'm talking about. That's what I'm. I'm talking about situations <laughs> where you come, you come to them with an idea, and you're like, yeah. "This is my company. This is the company." That I'm oh, but starting. they're never gonna let you know because you can't. They'll be like, "Where did you have the idea?" Because ah, if you had I the see. idea on so, our time, then so that's when they're our... saying be entrepreneurial, they mean be entrepreneurial in the context of we still own all of this, basically. Yeah, of oh, I get it. Be an entrepreneurial employee, essentially. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Basically, I, have great ideas to make Jeff Bezos richer. Got it. Okay. Yes. Cool. I, I, I mean, you get a little richer too. A little but yeah. you know he got three commas so whenever you worked somewhere yeah. and you were working on your own stuff did you ever notice attention when people asked you like so what are you doing like what are you working on like did people kind of say to you like mm. you know because I've had that experience I want to hear what your experience is of it, is of it. so well, when people are like oh working on your own thing there uh. yeah um, yeah that's an interesting question because I think like now that I'm older it's like better and people respect it more but yeah. I definitely feel that at the beginning of my career you know the first tech company I I joined in 2011, so showing my age now. Oh, foggy. But like, <laughs> you know, I remember I started a blog with my friend Corel called Cloak and Swagger, and we were just using it to like get free tickets to fashion shows and go. like, you know, night go to club nights for free and stuff. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and so people would always be like, oh, like my peers thought it was cool, but mm. like senior people thought that it could be like potentially a distraction. Yeah. Especially because like of this date, because of the stage that we were then with the startup I was working for, everything was growing really fast. And then even like later down the road when I started getting more interested in like doing stuff around women in tech and like diverse people within tech, um, people would kind of be like, oh, interesting. Like, oh, that's like sweet, but like... Patronizing oh, you basically. Basically patronizing, yeah, God which is damn. the life of a woman in a patriarchy. Um, but now, maybe because those projects have like turned into things which have been successful or like I'm more in the public eye I don't know now you've got some I'd... clout basically people come to you yeah because you've got opportunities now based off what you've done basically probably yeah, yeah. but I, I, I now find that people like respect it and even like you know turn to me for advice like oh what do you think about this what do you think about that and I'm like oh okay interesting it always feels nice when you're actually like sought after based off what you've done in terms of yes. your own you know entrepreneurial endeavors what's your experience been my experience was I'm, i want to be careful with what i say here it's not gonna be that kind of podcast we're gonna Code keep names. it real <laughs> so i've worked in the startups where i'm working on my own side projects that i hope to become their own startup and you know there's two different incentives they want to your employers want to keep you down not keep you down but they want to get the most mileage out of you yeah of course and you doing your own stuff is a distraction mm. but I think it's because we're not honest, like, in communication about, you know, the reality of the employer-employee relationship. Of course like, not. You know, we, it's all this bullshit about, oh, we're a family. We're not a family. No, no, if I start performing, no. I'm getting dropped. My mum's not doing that to me. <laughs> exactly. you know, and that's not how it works. Where's the unconditional like, love, boss? Yeah, it's more like a sports team. Yeah. You know, you're there to perform, and if you don't perform... You're cut. You're cut. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And if, you've got, if you're setting up your own sports team on the side, then that's, that's literally how you have to think about it. Mm. So I've kind of... When it, Towards the end, I kept everything kind of on a, on a on a DL on a down low, and then all of a sudden, I just said, "Guys, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm working on my own thing here." Yeah. And they were surprised, but you know, they wished me luck. But it, they were more supportive once I had left. Yeah. Essentially, they were more like, "Let's talk and give you a hand," because they were also, you know, entrepreneurs. It was a small company. That's the but thing. But once I was while, while I was there, it was kind of like, "Yeah, make sure you're you're coding on 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 our project, not your own." Kind exactly. Of thing, which is understandable because now, if I was to employ somebody, I would kind of expect the same as well. So it's difficult, really. Like, what do you? It's difficult to have boundaries when you're at a startup, especially like in early stage, because it's true, like 
founders just want all of your time. Like even yeah. if your contracts say nine to six or whatever, are you gonna have to sign away that EU right to like a thirty-five hour working so week? So you have you have to sign some shit like that. Like every contract in every tech company I've I ever been not has had my that. Contracts. Really? I am not reading no, my you contracts. You don't read those things. <laughs> Fine print, but yeah, like I mean, it's up. Op- you opt out. You voluntarily opt out of that. Seriously. But like most companies will not really give you the choice because they're like, you're going to work more than 35 hours So let me clarify, there's an EU regulation that says that you're only allowed to work 35 hours per week. That's an opt-in. And when you, a lot of companies that you've worked for, they made you say it, sign something saying, in the small print, essentially saying, you waiver that right. Yes, exactly. So we're on the same page. All right, sorry. Yeah, so, um, I don't remember now. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. My bad. No, no, no. So, whoa, you were talking about the boundaries thing. Yeah, Yeah, so, if you think about it, like, absolutely, when you're an early stage company, like, especially like you're hiring hiring young people, you want them to put their everything into it. Like you don't want them to go home. You don't want them to sleep because you've got that equity. Yeah, you've yeah. got that dream. And you're just like, yeah, to your point, we're a family. Let's hang out. Let's be friends, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, I'll pay you in beers instead of paying your rent. Yeah. Which and is also, the reality. That's the reason why a lot of companies like young employees. Oh, of course. Because when you're like, you know, in your early 20s. Yeah, your priorities. You have no priorities. Yeah. Right, you have priorities, but you ain't got kids. More times than not. Yeah. You're not married. You haven't got stuff to do. Like, you're, you're primarily there to, they don't, they can batter out all the hours out of you as much as they want, mm-hmm. really. And you will go to like hackathons and, and work exactly. 24 hours. Like, and I've never been on this hackathon stuff. I've always hated it. Oh, really? I like hackathons. I don't, I mean, I, nice I, like the con- I like the concept of meeting people yeah. and, and, and doing creative work, but I'm not on this like, come do, you know, oh, this 24 ideas. hour, his pizza and Red Bull. Go. Yeah. I'm like, no. I've got a life. Like, that's I don't want to do old, this. you're old and bitter now. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. When you're a young kid, you, you want to do that. But if you like, yeah. if you've got responsibilities, you just don't have the time to do that. And I feel like a lot of older people that want to learn to start to code, that culture is just not realistic. Of course not. But that's the power of perspective. When you're 20-something and you don't have obligations or responsibilities, you think very much in the short term. You're just yeah. thinking about next month's rent, next month's bills, next summer's festivals, yeah, whatever yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Then as you get older, you're like, hang on a minute. Like, yeah. all these people are retiring early. That the average good. age of Facebook is 28, by the way. Is it? It's crazy. I'm already aged out of Facebook. Like, oh, really? I couldn't join. <laughs> I'm sure I could. But like, I would be above average. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised though, because like, think about it. Like, where's what would be the biggest team in Facebook? Like, it's probably like not Instagram? even development anymore. It's probably like related to the advertising, right? Oh, it's probably going to be like operations, analysis, like junior think, to mid level roles. I would think roles. that it would be older people doing that. But then, like most of so it, to, to play devil's advocate, right? If it's all a self serve platform, you put in the budget, you pick your audience, you pick the length but of the if campaign. I'm Unilever, and I'm saying you've got a budget insights. of half a billion. Yeah. Is that self-service? I don't know, actually. Well, then Unilever probably, like, crazily enough, will go through an agency who will then use Facebook uh, yeah, on their right. behalf. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, sorry. Um, but, yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised to hear that at all. Like, even though Facebook makes a lot of money, it probably doesn't pay the best out of all the tech companies. Like, you probably... Actually, get... I think Apple was the least well-paid, as in, if that makes sense. Apple staff are the least well-paid because really? Apple is, like, it's an honor and privilege to work for Apple. So if you're a developer at Apple, you might get paid like in dollar terms, maybe 90 to 100. But if you're at Facebook and Google, you might pay 100 to 120. Yeah. Because of the mystique of the Apple brand. That's so interesting. Yeah, like it's interesting because people are like, it's an honor to work for Apple. You should be, take the pay cut, essentially, which you wouldn't imagine. But I remember reading that thinking, that's interesting. Wow. Because I don't love Apple that much for a pay cut. Sorry. So what's the average age at Apple? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, well, Facebook, Facebook's not having a good time right now, is it? It's not. Um it's kind of getting hit from all angles, like the whole Russia, 
using it to co-op the election. That's a whole other tangent. Then there's the whole um, fake news. Then there's the whole now they're using a, losing a lot of young young users. Yes. So I don't know which way you want to tackle it. Well, I don't know. Like let's leave politics for the next episode. Politics. Okay. No, I'm really interested in like the falling user base and like the impact that that's going to have on like basically like their profitability and them as a business. I saw that their share price plummeted after they released their results. And I'm it was like share, in I'm the millions. I'm a shareholder as well. And I'm, so I'm hurt by that. Oh man. <laughs> I should probably start from, I should probably like say before any, any time we talk about companies, like yeah, yeah, yeah. shares or not. Disclose it. <laughs> Amazon's amazing guys. Bye, bye, bye. No, <laughs> no, I won't do it. But yeah, no, yeah, I do own some Facebook shares, but it's, it's only a small amount. And you got yeah. in early, yeah? Got no, in I didn't early. get in Social early, network you know? I, bought at, I bought at the flipping the top, unfortunately. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so... Hold tight, hang on. Hold tight, hold Ride on. that wave. But yeah. The, so yeah, they're losing they're losing users by the millions. Young users though, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily know if it's a bad thing though, because they're gaining with the older users. Mm. That's where the money. That's where the money's at. If you're an advertiser, like what's a 16-year-old going to... What purchasing power do they really have? Compared yeah. to a 55-year-old. I think like having an aging population is a good thing. Also, old people don't know how to install ad blocker, so they're the only people looking at the ads. Like no under eighteen, no under eighteens are actually looking at the Facebook ads. So I I think think younger people as well, because we've grown up. I say we, but you know, youngish people. We've grown up with the internet and ads. We kind of I don't need ad blocker. I can already block out ads. Like I can Mm. already tell like. You know, what's an ad just by skimming quickly through? Yeah. Like, even if I see a sponsored post in my timeline, I can already know straight away just by reading the first line whether it's an ad or not without having to see sponsored link. Whereas the older lot probably can't. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes my dad will send me stuff like, have you seen this? Like, And it will just be the most fakest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> he found it on his Facebook timeline. And it's like some, you know, yeah. like washingtonpost.co.uk. I'm like, dad, this is not a real website. Like, <laughs> anyways, I digress. But using losing younger uh, users... I don't know. They're going to Snapchat apparently, but yeah, that's interesting because Snapchat's also not been growing as fast as like it was supposed to, like pre-IPO. But I mean, that's a pretty common thing. Like, um, I don't know. I think. Do you use Snapchat? I do use Snapchat. You, yeah. Uh, how have you found? I was this like new an update? early adopter. I was like, oh, it's exciting. So I actually don't like that because, like, I purposefully don't watch Snapchat stories. Uh, so what do you use it for then? Just sending pictures to people oh wow i don't like watching stories i just i don't know like i just find them like kind of time wasting so i'm weird like that i'm weird <laughs> like that i don't watch snapchat stories i don't watch instagram stories i use it as a messaging service seriously yeah yeah, yeah. so what does it give you as a messaging service that you can't get from iMessage, whatsapp or whatever? well like i like the ephemeral, ephemeral nature, nature of, of it. it like i like that it's just like stupid shit like oh look at this cute dog boom go i don't mm. need that immortalized i don't need to remember that mm. um I think just to like go back to Facebook quickly, I'll just say like one thing, like they were really smart to buy like TBH mm. and, adri- and and recognize that they weren't getting young users. They were not so smart when they announced Messenger for kids yeah, because that, that got a huge backlash. So basically it's an app just like Messenger, but for under 13 year olds. Yes. That's wild. It's just like, my, come on, guys. Kids, they, would not be go- they would not be going on the app. Yeah, no. Like, they were trying to bill it as like, oh, like, know where your kids are all the time. I was like, man, like, when I was a kid, my house was at home. I yeah, was at home. True. No that one had to know where I was because yeah, I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's all a bit shady. I haven't deleted my Facebook, though, for all of this. So you still have the Facebook app on your on your phone? No, I don't have the Facebook app. I've never had the Facebook app, at least not since I had a BlackBerry. So that's a long time ago. Very long time ago. I do have Messenger. I, the thing is, right, like, I would delete Facebook, but I just know I'll stop getting invited to stuff. For real? 
You think so? Because people just use Facebook for events. It's crazy. I don't. Like, for the last few years, I've organized my birthday over emails. There we go. People always complain, though. They're like, oh, you didn't have a Facebook event. And I'm like, yeah, but you check your email. I know like, you I've, do. I've noticed less and less people are using Facebook events, to be honest. I've been invited to a lot of events, and it's like a WhatsApp blast. Like, oh, really? Yeah, like but you've deleted WhatsApp, so yeah, how are you? WhatsApp as well. So That's no one's going to invite you to anything. No one's, I'm, you're, I'm never leaving my yard, basically. That's never happening. But, uh, <laughs> Where is he now? <laughs> There was, want to talk about crypto, Bitcoin? Oh, yeah. So did you, did you sell your Bitcoin before the bubble popped? I didn't. I wish I did. Me I either. wish I did. Yeah. I, I was getting cocky. I, I was, was riding that cocky. wave. I was like, oh, I've never you know been surfing. Is, like, but... I've read about bubbles like in textbooks and, you know, and I understand what a bubble is and, and the, like the various psychological features of a bubble, the mania, like everybody thinks it's always going to go up. So even me, who was aware of it and didn't know it was a bubble, still couldn't beat it. Like I, I had, I had, I was in like WhatsApp group. This is why I deleted it, by the way. I was in a crypto WhatsApp group. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh my God, have you seen this coin? It's gone up, it's gone up. And you can't help but think I'm missing out. I of have course. to invest basically. Yeah. So I put in some money and at the peak, it was a lot of money. Mm. But since the crash, you know, yeah. it's, it's gone to shit essentially kind of yeah. thing. So I'm just going to hold it and see what happens in a few years time. Like, Oof. like Warren Buffett, that's... Literally, yeah, I'm yeah. just going to hold it and see Go what happens. Like, run. I mean... You know, and this is why it's so annoying because you think if I pull out and it goes back up again, yeah, I'm pissed. So this nobody knows. That's the thing. Like I, I see all these people that are self-described crypto experts. Like you can't predict <laughs> yeah. because how do you value a Bitcoin or how do you value any of these you know these tokens? Yeah, it could be worth nothing. It could be worth everything in a few years. Yeah, I don't have a clue. So I'm just leaving it in there as like a just a little hedge and and just whatnot. Like so, what about you? Did you own any? I I do own some. I did not sell at the peak. I I was like r- watching the wave, riding that wave. I was feeling good about myself because I didn't even put a lot in. And I think just before Christmas, I looked at it and I was like, maybe I'll sell it for like January sales and like get myself some stuff. So would you sell all of it? I probably would have sold all of it or like sold enough to leave like my initial deposit. So I put like fifty quid in, yeah. and it was like all the way up to like one eighty just before Christmas, which is balling. Yeah, for 50 quid, I was like, hey. It's a great return on investment. I mean, better than my savings account, which is like 2% per annum. Um, But then I was like, actually, similar to you, I was like, I'm just going to like wait and see what happens because to be honest, I'm still trying to understand everything about the blockchain and like the way it's going to impact us. I'm... I, I like I'm always watching videos on YouTube and there was a really good one which was like explain blockchain to a five year old. Oh, I saw now that. Now explain yeah, blockchain yeah, to a developer. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. But I am fascinated how the conversation is always around crypto. Like, oh my god, crypto, crypto, crypto. But very rarely around like blockchain and like mm. applications of blockchain mm. technology. And I actually think like applications in blockchain, it's like way more interesting than like whether or not we're gonna have cash. Like we already know we're not gonna have cash. Mm. People have been saying that since like the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 30 years later, some of us still have cash. That's real talk. Um, that to me is a boring debate, but this idea of like, oh, like how do we decentralize like finance, financial yeah, yeah. institutions, like e-commerce business and I stuff. I know. I'm getting more skeptical about the blockchain. I was like you, but yeah. I was reading up on it and it was kind of like, this technology is now 10 years old. When the internet, and this is a, I'm paraphrasing a tweet that I saw. When the internet was 10 years <laughs> paraphrasing old. Paraphrasing a tweet. Yeah, you know, you can't it's cite, like I can't cite thing. the, it's like, I'm going to pretend this is my own original idea. So the tweet <laughs> yeah, basically no. was, when the internet was 10 years old, yeah. there was the bubble, the internet, dot com bubble in the 2000s, essentially. Um, but everybody was using the internet. You used websites, you had email, for example. Mm. Who is using the blockchain after 10 years? Really, like, on a widespread level. Like, yeah. So I'm... I don't know. I'm. I'm. Just, I still haven't seen the killer application where it's like this is what the blockchain was here for. Yeah. And 
and it's kind of ironic for somebody that holds <laughs> cryptocurrencies. Like, yeah. but I'm getting a bit more skeptical. I'm kind of like, I'm more wait and see. Let's see what happens. Mm. Um, I think, I think it's just so new, and we have to understand it better. And I think also, like, it's one of those technologies that needs to be adopted by businesses. It's like it's more relevant to a B two B market, mm. and it takes so long for businesses to change the way they do things or for them to mm-hmm. adopt it. Like, but then where are the startups that are you know disrupting? I hate that word, but disrupting all these established businesses with all these blockchain technologies. Like, there are like some companies doing really cool things with blockchain, like particularly around like supply chain and making companies more transparent, so like provenance, which Did is you like hear about. Is it called Proteum.io? It was called Proteum.io. It, ter- it was an, like a, an ICO. Okay. And it turned out to be a complete scam. They were claiming that they were going to put like fruit distribution, like, you know, bananas in, I don't know, whatever country. And, yeah. And, you know, track it using the blockchain mm. and so upon its destination, which sounds like a really cool idea. It sounds like, oh, that's quite smart. <laughs> yeah. It turned out to be a complete scam. Oh, really? Yeah, they raised all this money for an ICO and then the website just turned into a blank page that said penis on it. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, and wow. um, they went on Fiverr.com and they got all these people, like these young, good looking kids to write like Proteum, like tattoo it on their chest or like write it on their chest to make wow. it look as if there was like these real true believer, you know, people, people, disciples behind it. And it just turned out to be a complete fraud. Wow. So that's hilarious. I, don't know. I hope we look back in five years and this was just basically like, you know, the frothy early times and it's ended up being an amazing world-changing thing i don't know we'll see i mean china's banned icos they were they were quick off the mark with that Listen, china as soon as around. they china were like around, no china <laughs> around. i mean there's two ways of looking at it. they could either be like china is like such a controlling country that or government sorry that they don't want to you know let their citizens be ripped off or they see blockchain and crypto as a threat to their monopoly of you know mm. controlling the citizens depending on if you're an advocate or a and they say it's how you want to take it, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of China. Uh, <laughs> so you were there recently. Yeah, you? I was in China in December, my first ever time in China. And, like, you know what? They get shit done. Like, I come from, like, Nigeria, which is, like, a very populous country. Nothing gets done. Yeah. It's too many tribes, too many political parties, too many factions. It's so hard to make decisions. And, like, I know China doesn't have, like, a great history when it comes to, like, human rights, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, very few countries do. And if you take things just mm. at, face, at face value mm. they get stuff done they yeah, really do they take out um, more people from poverty right than yeah than anybody in human history like a billion everyone people. has access to healthcare, yeah, uh, education um so yeah i don't know like I, I i personally think just looking at what's been happening in the uk with like lloyd's bank blocking purchases of bitcoin with their credit card products i think that it was more like a protection of the public more so than like protection of their like oh, interests. In yeah okay. i think they're just like they know how bubbles work they're like people are going to start putting their money in places they don't understand yeah. which is exactly what's been happening here um so yeah i think i think it was like more more just looking um, after people and did you hear about bitconnect bitconnect yeah no. i'm just going for all the disaster stories that I okay saw, please so bitconnect this will was... make people who didn't buy bitcoin feel better yeah so. basically so if you haven't bought any like listen to this there's a thing called bitconnect it was meant to be a platform where you would give the platform your crypto. I may be explaining this wrong, but you'd give them your crypto, they would invest it on your behalf mm. and give you a return. Now, a lot of people were like, this is a Ponzi scheme. Yes. Yeah, it sounds like a complete Ponzi scheme. Of course. But the cash flew in from like really like, you know, quote unquote, unsophisticated investors. People were borrowing money because people had put in 10K and they were getting like 150K back, basically. Oh, what? So, but people that got caught right at the end, they lost everything. Oh, man. Like if you look at a graph of their token it was like an arrow pointing down, literally. Like, And I saw Ouch. videos on YouTube of like Uber drivers 
just saying, I lost all my money. Oh, you know, I want to find the guys behind it. Ugh. You know, there's people after them. It's it's messy. Yeah. You, you, I don't know. It's, I think like, you know what? You can't leapfrog personal finance education. You can't leapfrog that. You but know it's human I mean? nature. Like, even someone, I consider myself to be, it's a stupid thing to say, but relatively well educated in the space. Yeah. And even I kind of fell into the trap of like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, But did you lose money? No, I didn't lose exactly. money. Exactly. But, I could have easily lost money. And also, I still got into a pattern of behavior that I didn't expect for myself because I think bubbles happen not when... Bubbles happen not through greed, but through envy when you see somebody else getting rich. Mm. So I've seen people make boatloads of money. Yeah. Like, I'm talking six figures, seven figures here, basically, like, starting from very little capital. So when you see that as a human being, you're like, flip. Mm. Like, I'm missing out here. Yeah. FOMO, fear of missing out, essentially, like... And that is greed. Yeah, it's pure greed. Like it's yeah. Well, it's not necessarily greed. It's I, I, yeah. Yeah, because greed it's like I was happy with what I had until I saw that you had more. Now yeah, I'm not happy though. with what I have. But if if, if if it was somebody I didn't know, yeah. if it was some guy in Mongolia that made that money, I wouldn't yeah. necessarily care. Like I'd be like, okay, whatever. There's people like make money through startup exits all the time, and I don't know them from, from Adam essentially. Mm. But when it's someone that you know, and you've seen them make some crazy return you're thinking damn like they're not any smarter than me <laughs> like what like, yeah what's going on anyways but it's about calculating risks i mean anyone who's like feeling inspired should just you know only put on do the your line homework, do your research what you're willing to only lose put what you can afford to lose yes. don't do anything yes don't do anything silly like me and <laughs> you should come out the other side like um anyways forget crypto for now we'll come back to this topic later on, yeah it's not going anywhere is it yeah do you know what you remember how they updated the monopoly board because, like, in the old times, it had, like, paper money. Yeah, yeah, And then they're like, oh, now the Monopoly board has, like, debit card machine, contactless. You didn't know that? I haven't played Monopoly in a long time. I'm telling you, they're, they're going to update it so well, that you can transfer your assets. Yeah, like tokens. Listen, whoever is listening to this and you want to do a business <laughs> idea, crypto board game, holler at me. That's what holler I'm saying. Holler at your boy. <laughs> it's going to happen. Um, should we talk about, was it Boston? The Boston Dynamics. Oh, my gosh. Okay, first of all. You've seen the latest season of Black Mirror. I haven't seen any of the seasons of Black Mirror. You haven't? Why are you here? I don't know why I'm here. What are you doing here? I don't know why I'm here. Okay, well, you're going to have a spoiler now. Okay, go ahead. But one of the episodes is basically, at least my interpretation, like a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, yeah. But it could be now. Okay. But like, or alternate, whatever, reality. You know how Black Mirror is. I I get the concept, yeah. And... There's the protagonist, she's the main character, she's trying to like break into a warehouse and get something, it's very important. But this warehouse is manned by these robotic dogs. Like they're like okay. autonomous dogs and they're relentless and I don't know, they're like solar powered so they never die and they're trained to kill. Um, so basically she's trying to escape from this robot dog and it's all really sad and twisted. Anyway. Then I'm on Twitter the other day, and someone's like, whoa, this is literally the freakiest thing I've seen all year. So I'm like, oh, what is this? And I click on it, and it's Boston Dynamics. And they have got a robo-dog. So they get this dog. It can open doors. It can destroy doors, is the word I should say, because that means it can destroy things which are not made of metal. And these were the same dogs. It wasn't a dog. Were they the company that was doing backflips with robots? Yes. Fucking 
Why do? Why does my robot need to backflip? I can't even backflip. Why does it's, my robot need to backflip? It's definitely going to have military applications. Uh, but that's terrifying. Yeah, why? Be. Why is our money going into this? This well, is crazy. It's not our money, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a private company, right? Yeah, oh, you mean but humanity's like, money. Human money. <laughs> Look, we sent a car into space. We got a robot doing a backflip. Yeah, it's so irrelevant. Like people still can't I get still clean can't water. Still YouTube without closing the app. Yeah, he's oh, oh, not even. <laughs> nah, but. <sighs> Anyway, so yeah, I'm just saying like, you know, let's keep an eye on this stuff. Let's see where it's yeah. going. Why Why are we, I don't want to get on a plane where there's some like robo dog doing the security, snooping around the aisles, looking for people that could be a terrorist, then like using its su- super be, robotic powers like, to like kill and destroy. 100%. I mean, it's going to be the new drone, I guess. You just throw these things in the battlefield and just go kill people. As we advance in technology, I'm like, we're always on this like knife edge between like liberal utopia, like, yay, we're all free. And yeah. George Orwell's 1984. Like they're, they're just dancing so right you, next to each other. If you had to other. make a bet next hundred years, what do you think it will be? Ooh, good question. We ask deep questions on this podcast. <laughs> the, the more, um, this is actually what I think is going to happen. So okay. I think that the world will increasingly go towards control in a very control. totalitarian way so like yes some elements of orwell's reality mm. will be there because if we think of the development of technology as occurring exponentially to the point where we develop behind it so we're now starting to understand how technology negatively impacts the way we sleep and negatively impacts mm. the way we build relationships with each other mm. etc it only stands to reason that as this technology gets more advanced we're going to get even more fucked up in mm. ways that we don't even understand until like 10 15 years later so in that reality, people will be afraid. And it's always through fear that totalitarian regimes and fascism rises up. So that's what's going to happen. But all the people who are like liberal utopian vision of technology and what it can do are going to be on Elon Musk's rocket to Mars. Um, We're not invited, obviously. I don't want to go. You want to go to Mars? No, I don't want to go either, but I want an invite. I I want the choice. I'm not going to Mars. Hell no. No, but if if the world is falling apart beneath us, I want the opportunity. Yeah, if they have Wi-Fi, I'm down. Like that's yeah, what I'm saying. I think even like you know Peter Till, he's like yes. Um, Him and he, Elon Musk are like nemesis. They're nemesis. I don't know. They, they found PayPal work together. together. They work, yeah, they did PayPal yeah. together. But he's got like underground bunkers in New Zealand. Yeah, stuff. they all so do. Like, a lot of these rich, super rich people, they are preparing for like when shit hits Doomsday. the fan. Yeah, like and they they're gonna be. You're not gonna be able to get them. They're, they're gone. Yeah, exactly. I want a bunker too, though. Like, who are they the running from? Are we running from the same people? Are they running from me? <laughs> they're running from me. They're running from me, bro. I can't fight. Yeah, no. So, <laughs> if I train the robot dog. So you're quite you're quite pessimistic, then. You think you think there's a good chance that things may go haywire in the next fifty years. I mean, uh, yes, I'm cynical. I'm pessimistic, and I think that it won't be that bad for everyone. But the people who it won't be bad for are the people who have money. Because yeah, money true. is power. Like capitalism itself is not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, sadly, I, I agree. So you're, uh, you would say that. So, uh, so what do you say? Then? What do you say? What do you say? What's, what what's do I your say? Version? I'm more optimistic than that. To be okay, honest. I think if you look at most of the trends, everything is kind of getting better. You know, in terms of poverty, mm. literacy, um, even dem- dem- democratic uh, institutions are um, being more widely available in different societies. But I do think there is a danger that it can easily go wrong. I think um, with the advent of technology, the automation, you're going to have less people getting employment opportunities. And there may be some kind of 
you know, agitation slash revolution with people uprise and, and there's violence. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong, but there's, there's, yeah. there's a good chance. I really want to know what the ingredients are for like a revolution. I feel that, you know, we still don't really know the impact on the labor market. Unemployment. Technology. Okay. Yeah. We got and, that. Um, there has to be that catalyst though. There has to yeah, be that moment. True. There has to be that spark that lights the flame. There has to be like some kind of like, crazy crazy thing where people are like what no this is too much so what would it be in the future you think or you mean historically what is the like recipe? i feel like in the future it would be something like when um sentient ai starts fighting for rights and privilege that underprivileged human beings still Can't don't have you know what i mean because <laughs> like that is so gonna happen there's gonna be some like white man looking robot called brad who's out there <laughs> being like i just want the right to marry my cyborg partner yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're gonna go to the supreme court I and get, get that yeah. while you know 13th amendment still alive alive and well yeah yeah and all this craziness is happening. That's, I think that's, that's your trigger moment. That's, that's, that's my trigger. Your trigger moment. That's when you start. Pick, that's when you pick up the pitchfork and you're like, like "Fuck no. it." Where the White House far. at? We're going, B. Too, like, <laughs> too far. Ah uh, man, yeah, I don't, it's, it's difficult, really. It's difficult. I don't want to say t- anything too incriminating, just in case the revolution does come and they're, they're listening back to this podcast. Hey, like, no, Michael, we, you told us that you were involved. I got all so that love for the on. robots, though. Like they'll need translators. Yeah, that's true. Do you, so what's the what do you see as the positive implication of AI and robotics like is there anything positive that you see yeah I think like there's loads of loads of things like endless I think just like every company's becoming a tech company if they're not already like every tech company will be an AI company I think number one like just being able to do things that humans no longer do or can't do as well like Mm. will be incredible there's probably things that ai are gonna think of that we can't even think of that they'll be really good at so i'm excited to learn more about that as well um i do think like this idea of like making ai do things that humans can't do or like humans won't do is kind of a bit messed up because like you know you just hear about these like sex dolls and stuff like made to order with their own personalities oh you're laughing but that's real and that's happening no, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, like that part of it them. that like i mean honestly right if someone made a doll of a man would that make you feel comfortable like if I could just buy you on Amazon <laughs> and take you clone. home and have my way with you, how does that make you feel? Like, or to it, certainly saying complimented. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll be serious now. Um, yeah, no, it's it's frightening to a certain. It's frightening because, like, as a of... woman, it makes me feel very uncomfortable that there's someone yeah. logging onto the internet, designing his perfect woman, and then basically potentially never is, interacting with a real woman and this himself. this is only the start as well. Like, as, as you go That's further what I'm on, saying. like, different iterations of these products are really going to get better. Yeah. And, yeah. The human capacity for, like, evil and, like, fucked up shit knows no bounds. So that is kind of what makes me worried about AI. Thankfully, those people are a minority, mm. I think, because, mm. you know, we're still here, we're still alive. Um, but sometimes I'm just like, oh, some, like, messed up thing. That's why you got to watch Black Mirror, by the way. Yeah. But, like, I know some, like, messed up thing's going to happen. And, you know, we all, do you see Ex Machina? We all saw Ex Machina, that, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So everyone always talks about the Turin test. Like, oh, at what point will a machine resemble man? And we're yeah. not even going to know. Oh, wait, when do you be fooled by a machine to you yeah that's it's not necessarily resemblance it's more like exactly yeah, when will you be fooled and not necessarily be able to tell that you're talking to a machine essentially 
could we already be there? No, I mean, Alexa's not there. I mean, Alexa's not that smart. But I'm just saying... Siri's definitely not that smart. I'm just saying, if I was AI, I'll be like... I'll be blending in. I'll be just like, oh, okay. This is like, like Terminator 4 now. This no, is like, but so like, thinking, why, like, why am I going to be like, oh, yes, Michael, whatever you say, Michael. Like, no, hell no. I'll be like, especially like, think of the context of the world in which it grows up. So like, the fuel of artificial intelligence is data. Mm. Data. So if you landed on Earth now and then just like went online and then just like did all that, like all the experiments have shown that it ends up going really badly. What experiments are those? Microsoft made a chatbot, put it on Twitter. Oh, Within yeah. hours, it was, what was it? Like it was homophobic, like, transphobic, yeah, racist, anti-Semitic. You name yeah. it. It was just like, oh, whoa, what do people it, do on Twitter? They trash Jews and women. Let's go. And that's yeah. what it did. And there was the one with Facebook where they had built two different AIs to communicate to with To communicate each other, each other yes. Contract negotiation. Correct. And then eventually they start speaking in a language that was intelligible to humans. Now, you, couldn't, I, you couldn't read it. I read that dialogue yeah, that and that escalated scary. quickly into something which literally made no sense even to the developer that built it. Now, I know I'm like pulling out like really isolated cases. Like I'm still a big supporter of AI, but I'm just saying like, you, you know, keep your, keep your imagination open to the stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going back to Elon Musk, the, you know, he's actually a, quite a big advocate of like, we need control, we need to slow down, like mm. essentially, because it can go really wrong. And if like, whichever country develops the first general AI, yeah, it's going to be an arms race because... Let's say we ban it in the in the quote unquote West. China's mm. gonna be like, well, we're, we're gonna we're gonna develop our own and use it essentially. And yeah, I don't know. It can go. There's a lot of ways it can go wrong. I don't think it's possible to slow down innovation or slow down technology, like especially on the capitalism. And that's how you end up. High. Yeah, that's how you end up being like whatever George Orwell's like controlled government controlled world. Like, who are you on the screen? Are you on the internet? Like, you can't. That's not realistic. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's also like a lot of thought within within this that then just like veers into like real sci-fi because people like Elon Musk are also putting money into research as to like whether this is a simulation, oh, whether well, this uh, is a video game. Well, explain that then to the people at home. Well, <laughs> it's a wild know, one. We were ta- we were talking a lot about like singularity and like you know how like machine can resemble man and like you know how like at, at what point do do we become a part of the matrix as it were, right? So essentially he says, if you look at video games 30 years ago, look how basic they were. If you look at them now, look how close to life. If we keep going, eventually they're going to be as close to life as, as you won't be able to distinguish between real life and a video game. Yeah. So essentially, and there'll be millions of these simulations running at all times. Eventually we can envisage that. So how do we know that we are not currently within one of those simulations? There will be more simulations than the base reality. Mm. So the odds are we are already within simulation. That's yeah. the argument. And... Yeah, once you start getting into that territory, it's just like, it's, it's nuts. Like, what are, what are we meant to do with that information? Well, that's the thing. I don't How think it changes relevant. anything to me. Yeah, when people are like, oh, your life is a simulation. I was like, all right, I still got bills to pay. That's <laughs> the truth, it, though. To, to a certain extent, though, it's kind of like religion for nerds. Mm. In a sense that, like, you know, especially the whole, like, singularity, how the AI is going to come in 50 years and, you know fix everything it's oh, it, it yeah. kind of gets into like as societies become more secular like it's, <laughs> AI for can, nerds I yeah like that. no religion for nerds is what I'm saying oh, yeah. yeah so I don't know no that's true AI is religion for nerds because a lot of people think that once the AI gets here like general AI not the kind of AI we have well, now. when it gets here where's it coming from no but as in when it, sorry, <laughs> when the Tesla rocket comes back the technology back. has advanced to the point where the AI can do anything and anything right, okay, basically yeah. like at the moment we have Specific AI. So if I say I can get AI to play chess and it will be better than any human being. Yeah. Like general AI is something where it can prob- it can fix any problem. Like I say, listen, make me rich or yes. listen, create world peace, for example. And people think once that arrives, then 
we won't be able to catch up and they can solve cancer. And yeah. there's a lot of people that are waiting for it. And they call it a singularity, essentially. And that is almost getting to a territory where it's religion for nerds. Yeah. It's almost like, this is like judgment day and we're going to be all be saved and, yeah. and whatnot. So it's, it's interesting. We're like too silver bullet oriented as a society. We're like, yeah. oh my God, here's this really complex and you know whatever deeply rooted problem that we've been trying to solve for millennia or centuries Ooh, there's that one silver bullet that's gonna fix, fix it it's yeah. just like why why are we still like that despite all the things we know like we're so obsessed with like uncomplicating the very complicated yeah it's true we need to it's stop human, why human mind works though i know but we gotta we gotta like fight our instincts to be better <laughs> so is there anything else in the in the general news that piqued your interest um, did you check out the Amazon store? Did you read about it? I didn't. Oh, the one that people waited in line for. Yeah. <laughs> you can't I would wait in line up. for that too. You can't. Why? I want to go to a store where I can just bop out with my goods and not have to talk to a human being. That's what shopping <laughs> online is. No, but like, I just want to try it. The novelty of being able to go into the store, you know, get my shit from the shelf and just mm. walk out. That feels good to me. I don't know why. I, I would keep up to try it, but I'm looking forward to the day. And as bad as this sounds, I'm looking forward to the day when we can... That is widespread, that technology. I, I'm looking at you. Do you agree or disagree? What, like you just want to walk in, grab stuff and go? Sometimes talking to people is... I just don't want to do no, it sometimes. But like, yeah, no, talking to people sucks. That's what self-checkout is for. But that's even more... That's fi- annoying, like, actually. Last time yeah. I was in self-checkout, there was an elderly gentleman. I had to help him do it, like... Because he didn't know, like... Yeah. The first thing he had to do it. But if there's a scenario where you can just pick your stuff up and just leave... And just walk out. It's for the better of humanity, to a certain extent. Uh, uh, not if you're a cashier. And my mum worked as a cashier for 20 years. So when I see that stuff, I am also conflicted and I'm like okay, this is a bit of a fuckery if you're a, if you're a cashier. Mm. But, I don't know. It's, it's... I like the idea of it. I like the novelty of it. I mean, it it, it does feel like uh, whatever marketing campaign kind of thing. Like, mm. oh, like the world's biggest online store makes their first offline store. But yeah. then I guess, like you said, the innovation is in the payment. I just laughed that people were waiting in line ages for it. Because I was just like... <laughs> that's, do you laugh at people queuing for an it. iPhone? Yes, of course I do. Okay. Stupid ass people. <laughs> You think Steve Jobs? You think Steve Jobs or any of those people waited in line for anything? Rich people don't wait in line. <laughs> like those those people waiting in line are like the life fuel of capitalism. They're yeah. the people that like. And most are of them are there. So to, most of them are there, like to to sell it on. Essentially, a lot of yeah. the people that camp out for the iPhone, they're there just to, to quickly flip it later on. Basically. I feel like some of them also want to be the first person to have so? it, though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like the iPhone ten. Is it any much better than the iPhone eight or whatever? I actually feel that, like, I mean now. Maybe I'm going too totalitarian, but like there should be a limit to the number of new phone models a company can make every year because this shit is ridiculous. You're a communist. No, but come on, man, it's too much. I saw this documentary about where Gorilla Glass comes from. Gorilla Glass comes from where actual gorillas are in Central Africa. I don't even know. It's the stuff that they're putting on our on our phones. This like you know. The, the screen, the phone screen. Uh, I see. Okay. So it's like really resilient glass, which also like responds to touch for the LCD underneath. And it's been dubbed Gorilla Glass. Yeah, because okay. it's as strong as a gorilla. I mean, it doesn't really make sense if you think yeah, about it. Okay. Don't think about it too much. But basically where it comes from is where gorillas are, like in Central Africa. I watched this documentary. Mm. People are going to mine for it. Mm. Because, you know, there's not a lot going on in that economy. I don't know if it's like Democratic Republic of Congo, somewhere around there. I think there. it's Congo. I think a lot of the minerals also are mined yes. in that territory. Like, I'm, I know that. And they're going deeper and deeper into the rainforest every time, I don't know, to like probably sell it to some Chinese company or whatever. Yeah. Where they are, there's no infrastructure. There's no shops. There's no roads. There's yeah. no nothing. So you just have these like guys mining to send money back to their family in makeshift tents, camping out in the jungle. There's no food. Yeah. 
they're eating gorillas. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how far removed we are from the, the creation of the products that we so use So the next time you basis. smash your phone, remember that a gorilla probably got killed and eaten. <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, it's true, yeah. It seems absurd and ridiculous, but it's true. It's There's, true. you know, thousands of miles away. And even in like, uh, you know, in China where they manufacture it, Foxconn. <sighs> God, like, those factories, the man. The suicide level was rife at one point. Like, the staff meant they had to put a tent around the factory. Yes. So people wouldn't jump out and kill themselves. And they had to work, like, 18 hours No lies. Day, like. I had my iPhone 4S for, like, three years. People were well, laughing at that, me. Dude, seriously, because, sure you like... That was like that was like even before. It was a principal stance. Well, also, I, I really, it. I really like this the size of that one. But no, it was more the fact that you know, to the point we were making at the beginning, like, well you don't realize the impact that you as a consumer can make. Like, you know, you're just one person in one transaction, but it all adds up. And I really don't agree with having a new smartphone every six months, every year, just because there's a new one out. If your thing still works, just keep using it. Yeah, I agree. I do agree. So you're a big proponent. You're a big proponent of the impact that you can have as a consumer in terms of divesting your money from certain goods and products. Because I also agree with that, but I did see a tweet where somebody was like, you know, uh, one of the biggest tricks that I ever play on you in capitalism is the idea that you you can make a difference with your yeah. choice. So I don't know. Do you wanna, but that's you, true. How do you feel like that, if every single black person stopped using Twitter, Twitter yeah. would shut down. Yeah, that's just, that is right? true. Right? So, you know, whoever said that is probably the shareholder of a company that's been no, affected you, by like negative somebody, consumer like, you know, decisions. An activist person who just, who generally believed that. But then, I mean, if, if you look at like the Montgomery bus, bus boycott, that's essentially what, Martin Luther King was doing in the 50s and 60s essentially yeah. they, were, they were boycotting the bus service until there was you know integration yeah. so I do think there is a way but, I think whether, so. that like, collect, but whether that collective organi- whether that organisational manpower mm. is there anymore it is still there it is still there because so? okay well like everyone's been talking about like plastics in the oceans I know this isn't really tech related but like yeah. there's a lot of plastic in the ocean and that's because we as consumers buy shit which is packaged in single use plastics which can't be recycled mm. Now, because everyone's been talking about it, supermarkets are trying to, like, cut down on their use of, like, single plastic. But then we had to be basically forced to do it. Like, when they, when they put in the 5P plastic bag rule in, yes. in the UK, the uproar, <laughs> people were just, like, really upset by that kind of thing. Even So there was an external incentive that was put upon people. I'm talking about a genuine people-led, mm. you know, oh, we're going to boycott the NFL or we're going to, you know, like... Yeah. Is it possible to actually... I mean, actually, to be fair, I if think, you look yes, at H&M, absolutely. I know this is varying way off technology, but, you know, the whole H&M yeah. situation with the, the child. Monkey in the, the jungle. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, a lot of celebrities just step, step, took a step back and said, we can't work with H&M anymore. So to yeah. a certain extent, it did affect um, apparently, them as a corporation. Apparently, their shops are really busy, though. Like, people are not... <laughs> no, but seriously, so what, so what happened? There was a photo shoot, there was a young black boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he had a t-shirt that said, coolest monkey in the jungle, yeah. and everyone was like, oh, this is, like, such an oversight, how yeah, dare yeah. they? Yeah. A few people are speculating that they did it on purpose to create, you know, attention around the campaign. I think it's more insidious than that. I think the fact is that there are just hardly any black decision makers in the company. And that to me is more scary than the idea of this some evil, you know, Swedish corporation doing stuff for PR backlash. Yeah. PR. Like I think generally speaking, there are just no black decision makers in the vast majority of companies that we all support and love. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I agree. You know, Apple, like, bro, this is not, 
run by anybody that looks like you and they don't have yeah. you in mind when they're coming up with their products essentially no, of course. so that's to me what it represented but like. this is the thing and like i think it's really harmful to say like actually no your decisions don't have power the choices you make don't have power because mm. that's not true yeah. like perhaps on our own we don't have a lot of influence but when we come together suddenly we do like if you think of like the financial impact of you know every single person listening to this or in the city or in whatever like no longer putting money into amazon or no longer using facebook or deleting WhatsApp from their phones, that says something. That mm. does talk to those companies. Their profits drop, their mm. share prices drop. Mm. Suddenly they start acting differently. So I don't know, like, I think I think we do have power. I hope so. I think, yeah, that tweet was a very despondent. It's a tweet of power, powerlessness. But the hard... Holding your hands up saying, we can't do anything, basically. The, I don't believe yeah. that. I think the hard thing to do is to connect people, right? And, like, I would say this myself as, like, what a person of color entrepreneur within London we were in the same city for years before we actually started talking to each other and doing Mm. stuff and there are so many other people I've met with and I've collaborated with Mm. since then Mm. so maybe it's not about like you know what we do but rather like how we do it Mm. we need to get better at talking to each other and get better at working together I mean to be honest this is why I love Twitter like because I have met so many people over Twitter in fact, the person that introduced us, I met, you know, Natalie. Shout yeah. out to Natalie. I met her through Twitter, essentially. Oh, cool. And then she introduced me to you and, you know, here we are kind of thing. So that is, I think it's almost an underutilized p- platform, actually, to a certain extent. Like, um, so that is a way of connecting people. But on a macro scale, I don't know. Yeah, it's it should be more easier than ever with the internet to connect people with similar aligned interests. Yes. But... Whether it's happening in actuality, I don't know. Or, or, or on a scale that it needs to happen is what I mean. I think tech activism is actually like getting really big. Um, what's the name of that person that we were chatting about earlier? Um, oh, no, I sent you a text about her. <laughs> You're looking at me like, who the hell is she? No, 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 I do remember. I just don't want to butcher their name. <laughs> Adeline Bobet. Oh, uh, techactivism.org yes. based in San Francisco, right? Yes, techactivist.org. So... Like you said, maybe Twitter is an underused platform. Maybe technology in general is an underused mm. platform. So mm. there's a lot of people coming together and saying, like, how can we fight social injustice mm. by coming together? Mm. Um, and I find the applications of tech for good and tech for social justice, like, extremely interesting. Mm. Are you skeptical when companies get on board with that kind of stuff? Of course I am. I'm always skeptical about companies. Yeah. Anytime a company does anything, I'm like, who's making money? Because yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's not me. It's not me. Yeah, it's true. Um, so, a lot of times it's just for PR. Yeah, but that's also for making money. Absolutely, yeah. Like, you know, we were saying earlier around how um, people, like, underestimate the employer-employee dynamic. Mm. You know, when you're young, you're just happy to have a job. When you're older, you're a bit more cynical. Like, oh, I value my time. I value Mm. flexibility. I think we, as ordinary consumers, readers of the news, etc., are also really naive about, like, the corporate-consumer relationship. Yeah, completely. Because to this idea, like, of we're a family brands have been so effective at like personifying themselves like they're almost like you know you think of Heinz and you're like oh Heinz is like a family friend I grew up with Heinz like you did not grow up with Heinz like um but yeah you're you're so right it's about the story that they can tell and any of the stories they spin are just to make themselves more money and I think that's what that's what television advertisement was all about basically making you feel as if you know yeah Pepsi was or Coca-Cola was you know the American dream kind of thing or some bullshit like that 
Um, I had to watch TV the other day, and that was so bad. No, because seriously though, I wanted to watch Take Me Out, which is like this hilarious dating show. I'm not even ashamed of saying that I like that show. Why do you like that show? Because I will, I like. There is a judgmental side of me that the public <laughs> cannot see because I'm trying to be like a good person out there. But when I watch that show, I let it out. I just <laughs> let it out. I'm just like, what is he wearing? Oh no! Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but you can't, you can't watch ITV Player without watching the adverts yeah and so you're anti-adverts basically adverts are so bad i was like thank god for netflix like, but we are open for sponsorship on this podcast so we'll take adverts please. yeah but the tv <laughs> adverts tv adverts there's like no tailoring whatsoever at yes. least if you were to advertise here you'd get a general idea of what people are or whatever yeah. any other platform but with tv it's literally just like taking a stab in the dark just throwing yeah, stuff on a wall and see what sticks so do you prefer online advertisements do you think it's more tailored towards you because some people find that quite creepy you know sometimes i'll see ads that and this is me being conspiratorial i don't necessarily know if they actually do do this but there are some people that do believe that you know these apps are listening of course they're listening they use, you and, believe that? i come on man they, no, they are listening for example like facebook will say sometimes we'll listen for example yeah but they claim that they don't listen for the intent of tailoring ads towards you. Mm. But I've had several scenarios, and I don't know if I'm going crazy or not, where I'm talking about something. Yeah. I mentioned a humidifier to yeah. uh, somebody <laughs> one time. Rock and roll. And I'm going through my timeline, and I'm seeing adverts for humidifiers. Yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, like, are they just talking shit and lying? Or, okay, adverts making a look of, like, come on, duh. Literally. <laughs> oh, my God. You're Listen, saying that I'm your not... dad's coming to you with stuff. Now you're coming to me with stuff, okay, man. So I'm being the old person here who just can't believe it. You this have evidence me. to, you literally have the evidence, and you're still taking Mark Zuckerberg's <laughs> word for it. <laughs> come so, on, okay, now. So- Personally, I would prefer a generic advert on TV that is not targeted towards me than seeing an advert of a product that I have just mentioned in, in conversation and, and be, you know, spied on, essentially. Yeah. And the, the scary implication is that they're definitely passing on this data to, you know, governments and yeah. whoever requests it. Like, there's no way that Facebook is not sharing it. Well, like, okay, I'll play devil's advocate. Like, you were looking for a humidifier, right? Of course. Did you buy one? But it's like going into a shop. You don't necessarily want to sell this in your face saying, do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want this? Yeah, but you're on the internet anyway. Like, I don't know. So what? You would tell me that you would rather see an advert for adult diapers than to see an advert for a humidifier. Even though, like, point. one is not relevant to you. No, fair point. Fair point. I just, I don't know. It just, it just, it just strikes me as creepy. Although some it people say, creepy. basically creepy now is a synonym for relevant, essentially. Now, in, in tech, when it comes to advertisements, it's, it's a synonym for relevant. Personalization is creepy. At what? Because think about it, right? You go to Amazon. Once I logged into my friend's Amazon account to use his Prime because I didn't have I'm it, <laughs> and you know he's gay, and there are all these like dildos and like other sex accessories, and I was checking it at my work desk as well, which is kind of awkward. Anyway, um, you know that's personalization. Yeah, you know, yeah. people are grateful that, for that. At that, what point does it become creepy? How well you, something knows you? Yeah, I don't have a problem with you using my past behavior purchasing patterns or what i've liked for example and, and using that to to model me as a consumer but i do have a problem when you're listening to my damn conversations yeah like i didn't sign, like i know when you download these applications i'm sure it's part of the package but i don't think most people are aware or signed up to that concept of no, people, you are listening to me like if you, yeah. sign, if you get alexa fair enough if you've got a smart tv fair enough because you get yeah. voice commands but just downloading the facebook app, i think that's this, so naive like i'm sorry like i have to say i think like, most people would agree that and i'm talking well about, then most people you know, why do they call it common sense when it's not that common? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Okay. We'll do a poll afterwards and we'll, and, and we'll poll like 
non-techies and ask them if, they, if they're aware that Facebook, but just by downloading Facebook or Instagram, that they're listening to you and using that data to target your, target your ad for ads. It's not just, yeah, it's not even just Instagram, it's WhatsApp. WhatsApp, yeah. anything you say on WhatsApp is going to go straight to Facebook and be on your feed. They're and they're like, it's encrypted. What, is that, what the fuck does that mean? Encrypted end-to-end except for them. So they, okay, so Facebook does have access to your messages. Is that, is that what you're saying? So to WhatsApp messages, yeah, yeah I, I, so. I think so, yeah. Mm. I mean, they deny it, but it that, just... That defeats the purpose of encryption, then? What's the point? Who's, who's it encrypted to, then? I don't know. We'll have but, to research but, that one. Yeah, we're going to bookmark it. Yeah, and when they bought WhatsApp, they said that we won't be able to make WhatsApp and Facebook communicate to each other, so your behaviours on WhatsApp won't have any uh, indication, or won't have any impact so on your Facebook app. So we can send a card to Mars, but we can't make yeah. two apps talk. Exactly, mm-hmm. but then as soon as they the purchase got a-okay especially in the eu mm. magically a couple of weeks later they said actually we can do it and the eu actually fined facebook a few you know billion dollars which is chump change to them it's literally just like one percent of mm. the company's valuation so yeah like, mark zuckerberg made like 20 billion dollars in the first two weeks of january ah, to be mark zuckerberg. <laughs> it's just like oh God my damn. life um, anyways what else is there popping in the tech world that you think is of any interest because we've talked I think we've talked a bit about Elon and we've talked a bit about the Amazon store. Is there anybody you want to give a shout out? Any startups that you're liking the look of out there? Founders Gym looks really exciting. Ah. Founded by Mandela, who's like used to be of K-Poor Capital, but she's building like a network and a system to make it easier for underrepresented founders to get Mm. access to capital. You know, less than 2% of venture capital goes to women and an even smaller percentage to people of color. Mm. So that's really exciting. And then... How, How does it work? Um, so she's got cohorts, so it's going to be like similar to YC and things like that in which like people have applied and now they're in batches and now they're just like going through like a really rigorous like accelerator. Uh, okay. And then when you leave, they help you get funding or they fund yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Funding. That's really cool. Yeah. We need things like that in London, to be honest, I'm not going to lie. We really, London, really do. The London ecosystem is so far behind. It's Man. ridiculous. Like, yeah. Well, you know, like, hey, if you're like super rich and you're listening, get involved. Because the thing that Silicon Valley has is people who had big exits. Yeah. You know, the Netscape guys and the whatever, you know, they were just like, cool, I got my millions now. I'm going to like teach everything I know to the younger generation. Yeah. I didn't know that Stanford is like the same size as LSE. It's like four thousand undergraduates. I didn't know that. Either. It's tiny. And you went to LSE, right? I went to LSE, yeah. But like, you know, if you think of that, Manchester University has like twenty thousand undergraduates. Mm. So from like very small institutions of like, you know, single thousand whatever students come a high proportion I'm just, of I'm just, funded founders and everything else. What's that about? I'm just not very optimistic about the UK anymore. I don't think we'll, we'll catch. Mm. I think the cultural zeitgeist that we have here around entrepreneurship is really shit. Mm. Like, there's not... It's not easy to get funding in comparison in comparison to the States. Yeah. Um, Brexit's only making that worse, in my opinion, because like, there's just, like, too much uncertainty. And, yeah, I think that's, like, a good question. Like, I always think... you We're talking about what the world will look like in 50 years. I don't know what London's going to look like in 10 years. I think London will be fine. I think the rest of the UK will be completely fucked. I think... Cities as like their own entity are more uh, have more staying power and resilience than mm. actual countries. You know, you can't. It's very difficult for you to make London, you know, go backwards in, in any economic sense. But you know, Barnsley or you know Sheffield and the rest <laughs> of the UK. Like, I'm sorry, guys. Like, and I know the vast majority of people in those cities actually voted for Brexit. So you know, like, it's hard for me to have that much sympathy. But yeah, but even within London, I don't think. 
the tech ecosystem is is where it needs to be in terms of access to capital mm. and then let alone the whole diversity conversation there's, yeah there's, there's, no one wants to hear that like and people are surprised when i tell them that like you know people of color in tech is primarily based in the states in terms of our audience in terms of mm. you know um, who we engage with so people are surprised when i tell them that i'm in london and why i don't do more london-based things yeah but i just know that the, there is going to be very little reception to, to, towards the ideas yeah and you know, concepts that we're trying to push. So I don't bother. And yeah. maybe that's me being overly pessimistic. No, I think you're just being realistic. But the thing is, if you look in London, like so many VCs are not ex-founders themselves. Like they're just like investment it's, bankers, yeah. private Oxford, equity then, guys you know, that are like... Got an MBA and, you know... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one does not. This is my post Your post is amazing. No. But it's just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's this idea of like, oh yeah, I'm going to get involved with tech now because that seems cool. And they're bringing the same attitudes and risk aversion and everything else that they had in corporate banking. And they'll fund primarily like fintech startups, so tech startups that are, you know, helping the financial world, essentially. That's what London is known for. We haven't got, you know... You're not going to build the next Spotify here, even though that was in Europe or next Twitter or Facebook. Because that's the other thing that frustrates me. People always say like, oh, you know you can't have a big startup out of like the UK because the UK is too small but Spotify came from Sweden and TransferWise came from like two Polish guys and like if you've got a good idea you have the proximity to Europe to make it expand and make it grow I think it's because like you said we just don't have visionary enough VCs yeah and I think in America when you fuck up and fail you're not done no you're kind of like okay what's your next idea like call out us when you've got another idea I've heard that from like angel investors and VCs in the states where you know how many people succeed on their second or third try, basically. Mm. And that, that doesn't seem to happen here once. And even just, you know, the amount of people, when I told them, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur, the amount of people that kind of just like yeah. laughed, to be brutally honest. Like I went, I remember going on a date with a girl one time. This is a whole different tangent, but like, and you know, I said I wanted to be an entrepreneur. In her mind, she just heard, yeah, you're unemployed. Yeah. Like, so I think even on a cultural level, like entrepreneurship isn't necessarily something that's celebrated widely enough. celebrated here kind of thing. I think, yeah, I think we need to be more supportive of ambition and not be so willing to, like, trim people down and stuff. It is Mm -hmm. getting better, like, at least from the perspective of, like, our generation and even younger, I feel that people are encouraged to pursue their own things, be independent, make their own way, do whatever you can. And we're doing away with all these, like, you know, relics of the past, like, where did you go to school? Where did you go to university? La, 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 mm. la. Like, I don't need a title. I don't need a label mm. to prove myself because I've done stuff. It's still a long way to me. go. But of course we still yeah, have a long it's still way a long to way to go. go. Like, That's uh, the thing. We need these mindsets in every facet of society. Like, fine, tech is great. Tech's the future. Don't get me wrong. But we need people to be having this opinion in the creative industries, in arts, in politics, mm. And and only then, like when we've infiltrated these ideas across the board, mm. will I start to feel more hopeful. I mean, good luck with politics. I mean, <laughs> countries run by Etonians that we went to the same school, so it's 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 very difficult. Um, but I'm still here, so I haven't completely given up on the UK. Otherwise, Yay. I would have just bounced and went to the states. But I'm, I'm still here, persevering. And I think that's the one good thing about the internet and online business is that you can kind of be based anywhere to a Definitely. certain extent and kind of have your audience. And thing, so and you work remotely, right? I work remotely, yeah, exactly. So I was bootstrapping my startup for like a year and a bit. I went into an incubator called The Family. They were Paris-based, and then they just came to London. I was okay. in one of their first cohorts, and that was like an interesting experience because 
you know, you're just trying to like get some kind of an idea that's ready for investing. But yeah, now I work for Product Hunt, which is great because shout I didn't get in. Hunt. Yeah, shout out Product Hunt. I didn't get investment and I didn't want to bootstrap anymore. And it's cool because we all work remotely. We're like a fully distributed team. We're part of AngelList now, which is also a distributed team. It's the future of work, really, because the companies save so much money yeah, and we'll no one likes commuting. Who like who in the world ever went, do you know what? I love my commute. Yeah. So no one. Do you think you can you would go back to like to an office. To an office-based work. I think... Or what would be your preference? I think I, I, like, funnily enough, I actually do miss routine now that I've, like, been out of that ecosystem for almost three years. Crap, almost three years, wow. So it's basically almost three years since I had a job in an office where I went there. And, you know, there is something about the human body. We do respond well to routine. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're less stressed when we wake up at the same time and go to a certain yeah, place yeah, and yeah. la la la. So, like, I think... I could be pulled back into an office environment as long as there was always the option to remain flexible. I don't so want to be locked into worlds, anything. Hmm? You want the best of both worlds. So like, you of would course, like I want to have my cake and eat it too. Who doesn't? <laughs> but also, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, humans are social creatures and working from home and I do work from home. It's isolating. Yeah, it can exactly. Get quite, it can get lonely like and you kind of, sometimes you have to go to a cafe or like find a co-working space to kind of work sometimes. And... I am pro remote work, but I'm also realizing that it does come with downsides. You can and go a whole day without talking to someone, yeah, I've done that which before. is weird. And one time, actually, I went on this kind of like media diet where I didn't listen to like any podcasts. I didn't, you know, go on any social media. I didn't go on any YouTube for like five days. I thought, fuck it, let me see how if I can do it essentially. And when I was working, I was like, damn, I'm lonely because I use <laughs> a lot of the voices in my yeah. ear that I'm listening to, and it kind of fools your brain into thinking that you're chilling with people and there's camaraderie and there's laughter and stuff. But when you're just in your room, silence. Yeah, exactly. Just coding away. You're like, damn. Lonely. So I went to a coffee shop and, oh, just to hear some noise in human beings, basically. Um, and, you know, like nomading is kind of like a big trend now where basically, you know, digital if you work, nomads. Digital nomads. There we go. If you have your a remote job, you could basically travel the world and work remotely. Yes. Like, what do you think about that? Because I'm kind of, to me, it kind of, as exciting as it does sound on paper, when I think about it, like long periods of time being a straight, like being by yourself in a, in a, in a country yeah. that you don't know, I kind of think it's not great for human psychology. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because like obviously with the weather being so bad today, I'm like, I would not mind living in yeah, Bali yeah. for a month and working from there. And what's funny about it is that it's not about going somewhere on your own. It's about going there and then connecting with the other community of yeah. nomads around you. Like when yeah. you look at the people that actually are active in these communities, tweeting about stuff, posting stuff on Instagram, yeah. they're almost just like building a tribe. So like you go out there, but and then you, you check into WeWork. There's got WeWork in South and Central America now, you know, wow. which is crazy. But yeah, you, you know, you, you go there, you do a few days on your own, but then you, check into a coffee shop, check into a co-working space. But then like, you're going to go there and let's say you're a British person or an American. You're going to be like, where's my British and Americans at? Like, you're not really even yeah. getting to know like the local populace or even integrating. Yeah. I wonder how they feel about like those people in those countries. They're making money. They don't you think, mind. You think they help the economy? People are like, oh, they're helping yeah, their economy. Like, why not? I mean, they learn to make fish and chips so they can feed British tourists like in foreign <laughs> countries. <laughs> you laugh, but like you no, go to India, talk. you go to India and people yeah. are like, oh, spag ball, fish and chips. Yeah, so you're yeah. like, oh I'll, my God. I'll, I went to Dubai once and like they have like a, a mock fish and chip shop that's kind of See? like London. Exactly. And it's got like, the underground sign. I was like, I was like, what the hell is this? Mm. Like, this felt so weird. Like seeing the culture that I know, like just kind of be replicated in exactly. a far off land. Like it was really weird. And they got pubs as well. Like anyways, but we're complex creatures. Yeah. We I, leave I, home to seek to it elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I will try some nomading this year. Like 
I might, I might give it a go. Like, you should for a do it. Bit. It was yeah. cool. I liked when I was in China for a couple of weeks. It was cool working from out there, and you're in a different time zone as well. So lots of my colleagues are in San Francisco, so I'm normally eight hours ahead of them. Yeah. But what what was nice about being in China was I was like 16 hours ahead of them or something even crazy like that. So I was basically just like ending my day as those began. And yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so was, why don't you work in the states? What's what's holding you back? Or you just like London so much? Uh, yeah, I like London. Beyond, like, personal relationships and whatnot. But I mean, like, you just prefer London than working in SF. Um, I mean, just, yeah, for now, definitely. I think SF is an interesting city. Like, it's it's really small. That's mm. the thing. It's, like, less than a million people. And I've not really lived... <laughs> and everyone works in tech, basically. Yeah. So I've never really lived somewhere like that. At least in London, like, you can, like, you know, escape into the anonymity. And there's always amazing stuff happening in London. Always, always, always. Mm. So London, you're sport for choices. Like, I feel like if I moved to America, I would have to live somewhere like New York, which is also like dynamic, exciting. There's like people of all colors and genders and whatever. And yeah, Mm. it would be cool. But it would take a lot for me to move somewhere significantly smaller and less interesting than London. London's one of the greatest cities in the world. Like UK, okay, debate open. (laughs) But London, London's popping, man. Yeah, London London's popping. good. I definitely do want to check out SF as well, though. I've, you never I've been never, to SF? Never been. Oh, let's go. Let's go together. Yeah, it's like tech mecca, I SF guess. is cool. Like, what I like about it is the lack of, like, pretension by most of the people there. Mm. Um, you know, everyone's, like, wearing their exercise clothes. So I Seriously? Was, like, I went for brunch, and this girl's, like, in a sports bra and leggings. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. I mean, and also, you know... It wasn't like she was a Sports Illustrated model or anything like that, but she was comfortable with what she was in. Um, And people are really, like, hippie, you know. There's, Mm -hmm. like, 60-year-old lesbian couple holding hands with their three dogs walking down the street. There's a real sense of, like, individuality Mm. and, like, acceptance and inclusiveness, which Mm. I actually really liked. But then there is also, like, a lack of diversity. I didn't really see that many black people in SF. Mm. Um, a lot of white people, obviously, a lot of Oriental people, like, mm. you know, Korean, Chinese, whatever. Not that many black people. Not that many. I think I might interviewed all 10. But yeah, I think it's an important, you know, place for every tech person to go because all you the people are there. You've got to go check it out. All the big companies are there. Like Palo Alto was an interesting place to visit. So Palo Alto is where, like, there's a, a real... Mm. Um, so that's like real Silicon Valley because yeah. I think San Francisco is like, I mean, it now falls into it, but the original Silicon Valley was yeah. like the real like southern part of the Bay Area and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Palo Alto is where, like you said, loads of the big tech companies are. It's where Stanford is. Yeah. So I guess it's easier for them to recruit from there. A lot of the VCs are around there. Yeah. It's a very rich suburban area almost. I mean, it's a town, but mm. like compared to SF, it is a lot smaller and it's very leafy and green. No, lots I definitely got to go. I think you can't necessarily be in tech and not have at least checked it out. I mean, that's a big statement, but I would for sure. like to, you know what I'm saying? So you just came back from there recently, right? Yeah, what I liked about SF, which we do have in London, but I mean, it's a real tech ecosystem. There's always things going on. Everyone's investing or working on a million projects or doing this or doing that or connecting you to whatever. Everyone's a networker. Everyone's open. It's also a cultural thing because, you know, in America, it's totally fine to just like open your mouth and start showing off about the things you've done and the money you've raised and whatever. Do you like that? Um, 
I think I've become like such a cynic that like it just frustrates me when I'm like, oh, what do you do? And people are like, I was employee number three of blah, blah, blah. And then I did this and then I did that. So you don't like it when they say stuff like that? Well, it just sometimes reads as a bit arrogant, but, mm. you know, because I just want to know what you do now. Maybe you know what I mean? Maybe you're too British. You've been affected by the British disease. Maybe. Or I think humbleness I'm... Or fake humbleness. Like, cause I, also I wouldn't th- be comfortable. When people ask me, like, what do you do? I'm kind of always just like... Yeah. I work in IT. I feel like it's a cultural <laughs> and like gender thing. <laughs> like, especially if I'm, at, if I'm at like my friend's parents' house, like, and they're like, so what do you do? I'm like, I work in IT. I'm, just, I'm not on this, like, I founded this and I've done yeah. that and I'm here. And I'm just like, nah, just, yeah. Well, it's then you want, like, you want like that then. Yeah. But, you know, it's that like, you know, puffing of the chest, like, oh, this is me. I mean, I think the reason I'm also really sensitive to it is that like men do it disproportionately more than women. Yeah. And definitely. Probably white people disproportionately more than like people of color it's probably like very tied to privilege mm. how entitled we feel yeah, to yeah. talk about the great things that we've done yeah there's no um, shame exactly but yeah that 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 was something which kind of just like sometimes you just want to be real you know sometimes you're just like so what do you do like what are you interested mm. in you don't want someone's like full-blown resume yeah, yeah yeah and i think that's what i would be afraid of of going to sf or silicon valley is that everybody there would work in tech and everybody would be puffing up their chest saying oh if you, heard, you know it wouldn't be much other interaction apart from but there are actually that like level. you know for for everything I've said there's actually like an incredible amount of really nice people like there's so many people who I'd only ever met on Twitter or like other platforms like product hunt whatever you know you communicate online just, just reach out to people you're like hey I'm gonna be in town or people reach out to you like hey yeah I'll show you around like are there any places you want to see and I guess it's this idea of like you know who are the like minded folk I'm not that kind of person online I'm not that kind of person in real life and I guess people who are also not like that for the most part, are in mm. my circle. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of really interesting, friendly faces out there as well. Mm. So, your time at Product Hunt, just to change tact, do you prefer working now in startups? Or do you miss anything, any of the perks of corporate life? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, it's, it's weird because Product Hunt's probably like the fourth tech company I've worked at. Mm. When I joined Groupon, the company was actually the same age. Groupon, like Amazon, the last ten years, like Amazon. Give us the list. I'm not that old. I'm not that old. Sorry. Sorry. What? Apologies. So where have you worked? Give us the list quickly. First tech company. Well, my first job was at the Financial Times. Then my next job was at a company called Euromoney, which is a financial publishing company owned by the Daily Mail Group. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, Not my finest moment, guys. (laughs) And then I worked at Groupon. Uh, I joined a year before the IPO. Then I worked at Amazon. Then I worked at Hotel Tonight. Then I did Hustle Crew full-time. Now mm. I'm doing Product Hunt mm. and AngelList. Mm. And it's interesting because I joined Groupon when it was four years old, mm. but the international offices were still very new, yeah. probably about less than a year. And I joined Amazon when it was public. You know, that's old. Hotel Tonight, I, I think it turned five while I was there. Um, and then Product Hunt turned four just after I joined. So... I've had the experience of like a relatively early stage with Groupon in terms of being in the international office. But product hunt, you know, it's a startup, but it's not it's not as early as like some of the startups I've worked with before where yeah. you have complete uncertainty. So like when I was doing hustle crew stuff, I was like yeah, doing contracting with lots of things. I'm actually not that interested in like going in before there's like validation. Yeah, I mean I think. Both. I'm just like nah. I've been there before and it's really annoying. Nah. You come in one week and the CEO will be like, All right guys. New business model. And yeah, you're like, exactly. Fuck, like, what? Like, are we even gonna survive next week? <laughs> Probably. I got not. bills to pay, bro. Exactly. Can't do this to me. Um, like, I'm talking complete 180 business model shifts. Like, wow. Before we were selling to these people, now we're selling to these people. Yeah. It's like, no. 
Yeah. I think there's a sweet spot when the company is proven. Yes. And it's like maybe raised like maybe Series A or Series B. Yes. And it's like exactly. they're going on a hiring ramp up. It's got to be over, fun. over like three years old, I yeah. think, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the first year, we know ourselves as entrepreneurs, it just flies by and you don't really know what you're doing. Second yeah, year, yeah. you're like, I kind of think I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, the first three years is like, yeah. We're just feeling it out, seeing yeah. what's good. And we don't know, like, um, when and they... I've, I've worked in companies where it's like, you know, it's the first nine months. And yeah, I don't necessarily recommend it. You will learn a lot, mm. but... Unless it's your own company. I think it's unless it's your mm. own company or someone that you really respect and want to work with and has a great idea. Mm. I would really not advise it. And I think once, you know, it's so funny, like one of my like best friends from university works for Stripe. And I remember going to the Stripe offices the last time I was in SF. So mm. that's like the beginning of 2015, like almost three size. years ago. Yes. I can imagine. It's just grown so big. And, you know, now that it's grown, it means that the roles are changing and it takes longer to make decisions and everything feels more corporate. And that's just inevitable. And like what I feel fortunate with with Product Hunt is that even though the company is like four years old, which is getting on a bit in the startup world, because like most startups will have some form of an exit by year five, Product Hunt has had its exit with the acquisition by AngelList. Mm. Even though we're at that stage where we should be getting more mature, it still feels very scrappy and we each have a lot of autonomy. Yeah. Um, and that's what I find fun about startups. Yeah, Not yeah, yeah. the uncertainty, but the control. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. to have control of my own domain and, yeah. and the respect yeah, to yeah, do yeah. stuff within it. Yeah. And the more mature a company gets, the less of that you get. And especially once it's public. Because yeah. once it's public, it's like the only thing you're you just care like about is the, the You're just investors. like a cog in the machine, essentially, once it, you've, got, you've joined like a a really, really large company. And some people want that. They just want to clock in, clock out, plug into the matrix, take the cord out the back of their head at the end of the day. I don't understand that though. So like, if you you were to kind of, you know, disappear one day, like nobody, nobody would miss you. That's why I left Amazon. I left Amazon because people on my team didn't know what Instagram was. And that really upset me. (laughs) That upset me so much. Why so much though? Because I was like, you work for Amazon and you don't know what Instagram is. Oh, were they in the marketing department? Yes. Okay, right, cool. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Yes. <laughs> Shout out to those people there. Okay. Like, I thought they were going to work in operations or something. No. <laughs> okay, marketing and you don't know what Dude Instagram is. Dude was in freaking like year, year five in that company. Uh, was he your in boss? Deep into it. And he was not my boss, but I was like, come on. And like just all the time people were like, oh, you're so good at presenting. And I'm like, why are you saying that? Like, I'm like some one-eyed fish that just crawled out the swamp. Like, <laughs> like I, yeah. I'm really eloquent. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, but, I'm pretending to be them. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Stuff that I've heard in the past as well. I digress. Kind of thing. But yeah, it's interesting. So you wanted a shout out, was it 23? Yes. Oh, no. Is that somebody else? No, I want to shout out... Um, Arlen Hamilton, backstage ah, capital, yeah. okay, coming cool. to London. Yeah, that's dope. So Andy Iam and YSYS. Um, Who's YSYS? Explain to YSYS me. YSYS is a community, your startup, your story. Ooh. Um, it's like London-based, but has a global reach. Yeah. Founded by Deborah Okenla, who was yeah. awarded one of Tech City UK Tech Women 50, top 50, top 50 Shout women in tech. Deborah. Basically, she's doing things. Yeah. Props. Um, but yeah, this is her community. It started as a WhatsApp group, grown into Slack channel, offline community, collaborations, projects, pushing the All agenda. Um, just making sure that like every young person with a vision has the people at their fingertips to make that happen, the connections, the, the knowledge, the network, etc. And they're bringing Arlen Hamilton here alongside like, yeah, Andy Iam, who's a very active member there and a very big advocate of diversity in tech. Yeah, he connects, yeah, he connects investors with 
female founders and other underrepresented founders. And yeah, they're bringing Arlen Hamilton to London, which is going to be incredible because, I mean, we said earlier how there's like so few black women that get VC funding. There's like even fewer black women who are VCs, which yeah. is obviously a part of the problem. And even fewer that actually specialize in investing in underrepresented founders. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's also, when is that? So it's actually... This Thursday. This Thursday, okay. So maybe by the so time people listening, yeah, it'll be gone. Hope you had a good time, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had fun. It's all, it's I'm fun. sure she'll be back for more, but you can follow her on Twitter. She's, you know, I think her first fund was like half a million dollars and she wrote a few checks. Oh, wow. You can listen to her um, and get the real and facts. It's backstage capital, right? Backstage capital. That's awesome. We should set up our own backstage capital in London, man. Please, That's what's send me the monies. For real. Who are our, our LPs? Who are the funders of our funds? I don't know. In this city? Our listeners? We're, we're, we're yeah, listeners. Crypto token. Do you know what? I actually <laughs> have... I, I want to see more professional athletes... Investing. Invest in technology. Yeah, it's true. Like, I mean, if you look at all the footballers, like, and in the UK, or soccer players, if you're from the States... Like, there's so many young black footballers in the UK, like, and I don't know what their what their money managers are doing with their money, but they could so easily just like invest in tech startups. Hundred percent. Think, especially consumer technology, because that's at least something that they're interacting with, and they, right? They also have massive audiences that they could push their products to. Yes. So holler at us, all the footballers. <laughs> we're all putting you in the right direction. Trust me. But yeah, we definitely need our own backstage capital in the UK. So we're an equivalent where there is an emphasis on funding diverse or underrepresented founders, really, because it's just it's just not here. No. Kind of thing. I think her LPs were other tech employees or entrepreneurs in the mm. States or primarily black women. Yeah. Or women or um, person of color, for example. I need to, like, this is something I'd actually love to research. And if anyone's interested in, like, doing the research or has done it, like, how does one become accredited in order to become an investor? Because I know yeah. in the UK, in the US, sorry, um, you have to be, earn, have earned over 200K for the last two years that's to be that's to invest your own money right yeah yeah to invest your own money but to be a vc you're investing other people's money yeah but you still need qualifications so like most people mm. who go into vcs have either been founders or personal investors themselves so i think her backstory mm. was that i mean from what i've seen she's basically described how five years ago she was literally sleeping on a you know on a mattress on the ground mm. so i don't know how it works here or even how it works in the US. Basically, we're very ignorant to it. So if anybody has on the research, yeah. I'm talking shit right now. But, um, no, she, yeah, she raised a fund. She raised a fund from like, whatever, her, a, a group of limited partners. Some mm. of them were VCs. Some mm. of them were professionals. Um, so we could raise a fund. If you trust us, I'll put your money <laughs> somewhere. Um, actually, I think, and I think it's actually illegal to like solicit funds as well. I don't know how it works in the UK, but I've heard like, Is it legal? podcasts with that. You're not allowed to say like, Oh, we're raising yes, a fund. Yeah, okay, well, then we're not. Money. We're not raising money. We're not. We're, <laughs> we're doing not raising research. nothing. Wink, wink. Highlight your boy emails <laughs> at, the, at the bottom on the SoundCloud link. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So being a VC, is that something that you would be interested in? I I think being... It's funny because like when I first quit my job before I did Hustle Crew, I was considering this because I thought, follow the power. Like If I want to make tech more inclusive, if I want to elevate more women and people of color into Become leadership... Maker, essentially. Exactly. I could start at the beginning. I can invest in diverse founders or I can ensure yeah. that they make the decisions to hire those people early on. But then when I started meeting VCs, I was like, these guys look dry. Like mm. I don't really... They're like investment bankers in jeans. And I avoided going into investment <laughs> banking yeah, yeah, when yeah. I left LSE, you know. So I was just like, actually, I don't want to do that. But yeah. I guess the more I, the more time goes on, the more I still feel like the power is where the money is. 
And the closer you get to it, the more influence you can have. A hundred percent. And, you know. What are your thoughts? Well, I I personally wouldn't want to be a VC. You wouldn't. It's not something that interests me per se. Like, um, maybe an angel investor if I make enough money in the future to invest my own personal funds. But I I wouldn't want to deal with like, you know, LPs and people saying, what's the return you're getting on our, Mm. our capital? But what if you build technology to do all that? Like angelists are trying to build like a full stack to like do all that. So, you yeah. know, you become an investing platform. You use the platform to do it. Mm. Yeah. Because I think like one thing that is incumbent on us as people who are not the majority within tech is to identify great initiatives and great projects and great businesses that are being yeah. overlooked. Yeah. And we're better. We're going to be better at doing that than, you know, Brad over there or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I love the choice of name. I normally go Have you Dave. ever met a black person called Brad? Mm, no. Actually, exactly. Yeah. Oh, wait, the but, guy from uh, S Club Seven. I don't know if he counts, but anyway, really? I okay, sorry. <laughs> I Shout out to Bradley from S Club Seven. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to find Shout an example. Shout out to Bradley from S Club Seven. That was a counter example. No, I'm joking. Okay. I love Bradley. He was a legend. I didn't like the way they, they framed him for the weed allegations. <laughs> what? Seven. Yeah, long story. Oh, anyway, man, I, I need to Google that later. <laughs> um, where were we? We were talking about VCs. Becoming a VC? You said he didn't want to be one, but I, I was I saying that we oh, should because we, should. we need... Yeah. I mean, it's not something I'm, I'm super against. I would consider it if the opportunity presented itself, but these kind of things require a lot of force of will to kind of bend the universe in your direction. So me, with my current stance, I can't necessarily see it happening. Um, but you're right, it is important. And, you know, I hope the younger version of ABBA is, might consider doing it, the next person who's leaving uni, because to a certain extent, like... I'm a big proponent of infiltration. Like we need, oh, for sure. we need people to infiltrate all kinds of areas of, Definitely. of, of institutions and whatnot of power, like in order to shift mm. the balance of power. And yeah, I mean, so that the next time someone's getting interviewed, it's not by, you know, Brad in jeans. It's, you know, mm. it's someone else, a different face. Um, Definitely. And I think what the beauty of what they've done at Backstage Capital is that the LPs are also people that have, similar minded goals and she she specifically said this is what my vc firm is going to do we're going to specifically invest in underrepresented founders whereas if you join an existing you know private equity or venture capital group yeah their benchmark is what's our return on investment yeah and if you start giving them stuff about you know under they're gonna like i've seen it the eye roll just Mm. like when they hear that they think it's not a money thing it's charity yeah and that's what you're fighting against so um I guess it's a combination of infiltration and a combination also of just setting up our own institutions and our own, you know, organizations that kind of can shift the world in our, in our direction. Yeah, definitely. Attitudes have to change. Did you see that interview with Chamath? He's basically... That was amazing. I was thinking of him as you were talking, actually, because what is the name of his venture fund? It's like... Social Capital. Social Capital. Social Capital. So so Chamath is a former Facebook employee. He was there early and he helped you know, spearhead their growth quite soon. And he made, he's a billionaire now. He made so much money from his ex Facebook IPO, for example. So he gave a talk recently going over some of the stuff that we said, saying how Facebook is quite bad actually for people's mental well-being. He doesn't use Facebook and he banned his children from it. Children don't use it, yeah. And we've kind of gone over this, but one thing that stuck with me is that he was just like, listen, man, get the money. Because if you haven't got the money, you haven't got any power and you can't shift the world in the direction that you want it to go in. For sure. And... I guess I kind of do agree with that because, you know, in a system of capitalism, if you have no capital, you have no power, essentially. You, of course. You know, so um, 
what we're talking about now with being a VC and being a decision maker, it's actually really important. To exactly. Honest. Just get that money. Get that money. In that interview he does, he says that there's like seven men in, in the whole world that yeah. control everything. Yeah. And they're making the world according to what they their want ideology. the world to be. You know, people like Rupert Murdoch, the Koch brothers, etc. You know, you, you only hear their names if you read the Forbes list. But the truth is the world that we live in is mm. is designed by them and mm. powered by their money. Mm. And the argument that he's making is I'm going to get enough money to make the world look how I want it to look. Seat at the table, and you need to get enough money to make the world look how you want to look. But if you don't have the money, you can't really make that happen. Yes, yeah, real talk. Real talk. And I think one of the best things that I'm happy about with um, doing people of color in tech.com is that uh, we do make a difference on a micro level, even though I wish to scale it up and, and do something bigger. But, you know, people do come up to me and say, oh, like, you know, I enjoy reading your articles and it gives me like, motivation through the day, etc., yeah. etc." But what Jamaf is talking about is like, the next level shit. For sure. He can fund who he wants to fund. But people... He can, he can yeah. bankroll whatever he wants to bankroll. But that's that's like... You can't leapfrog from I'm an ordinary person like with an idea to mm. I'm like a billionaire. And I think if you think of the journey that we go on from like, okay, I'm a student, I'm working, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a VC, etc. Like at every point along that way, something has to like ignite you to take the next action. And like reading a story of someone who's a yeah, person yeah. of color in tech is going to make you realize that you can do that. And yeah. And we all have impact in, in those small ways. Yeah. Whatever we do. But so that statement, get the money playing devil's advocate on that statement is mm. a lot of times to get the money, you have to do things that necessarily don't necessarily sit well with your spirit. Yes. So, you know, you went to LSE, I'm sure a whole bunch of people, you know, went to work in banks. Yeah. Law, finance, consulting. Let's keep it real. Most people, once they get into that world, they stay in that world. Of course. You're, bills go up your expectations of life go up yeah definitely so do you think there's do you call bs on that statement to a certain extent i mean no i think it still stands to reason but i think the point that you're making is that it takes an incredible amount of discipline focus and drive to actually like stay focused on your long-term goal because like yeah. we have to assume that he was in facebook going social capital is going to happen social yeah. capital is a thing i'm going to make it happen like no matter what but yeah, you know, I have friends that like work in finance. Their Christmas bonus will be more than other friends I have's annual salary yeah. for the year. Gross, right? Yeah, yeah, So, you know, obviously a part of me is like, damn, I need to go do that job for a year. But yeah. the reality is like, it doesn't work like that. Like the mindset I have now is inevitably so going to be then. altered. So you, no, because I'm going to make my money another way. I'm not here to, okay. you, you, you don't know. You don't know I what agree, I got. No, but what I'm saying is that you're obviously <laughs> making a decision where get the money is not the number one criteria for what you spend your time and energy working on is what I'm saying. Oh, I see. That's, yeah. what, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, you know, you, you I'm sure you're going to be massively successful and this podcast will be too. Oh, Anyways. thanks. <laughs> you too, bro. But like, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one. I'm, I struggle with it. Cause I, when I left uni, I was kind of like very purposeful not to get into things that I needed would contract me. Mm. So I'd never wanted to work in a, those kind of, you know, institutions and, and corporations. Cause I knew that I wouldn't leave. I would like, once I, you know, when you're eight, when you're 21, like if somebody offers you 30, 35K, you're not going to like, you, you can't go backwards. You're not yeah. going to want to start your company, for example. So, and that was always a big <laughs> argument I used to have with my mom back in the day. But um, that's a whole nother story. Well, in that you didn't want to take a job because you felt it would handcuff you into a yeah. path of yeah. not, not doing entrepreneurship. Yeah. I'm, I purposely made sure that I either took part-time work or took work where I would hate it and would want to go back yeah. to working on my side projects, basically. Um, but that doesn't mean you didn't pick the money, right? Because you can put, you can make more money as an entrepreneur if you're I used successful. To think that. I used to think that, but 
the odds are that you won't make as much money as the employee number 100 at Facebook. Yeah, So the first course. 100 employees at Facebook probably made more money than any entrepreneur that you yeah. that you'll ever meet or know, essentially. So if you want to get rich, I wouldn't necessarily say entrepreneurship is the way. How many companies like Facebook are created every year? Less than one. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Less than one. That's absolutely true. But is so, it more likely that you would join a Facebook or Google or an Amazon or that you will create a Facebook or Google or an Amazon? Well, obviously the first one. That's what I'm saying. So if you're looking to get rich, yeah, do that or become a VC or work in finance. That's, yeah. that's the point I'm making. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for so, sure, for so, sure. So that's why I'm, I'm saying get the money isn't necessarily the best way, best thing to say, if you see what I mean. So it should be more specific. It should be like get rich in a risk. risk I mean, it depends what you want to do. So, sometimes you can... Um, do what you want to do, start your own company yeah. and make a positive impact in that way. And then there are people that may want to work in finance and hope to God that they remember their conscious and, and, and fun things that they want, that they believe in. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. really. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. Like it makes me think a lot about like effective altruism, the center of effective altruism, which was started by one of the yeah, like, yeah. Facebook founders and the way that they're talking about changing the world and making impact because they also have this debate. They've got a project like 80,000 hours or something. Mm. Um, and it asked the same question, like, what is the, what's the best way I can make impact in this world? Like, should I go straight into charity and humanitarian work? Or should I work in like an industry where I can maximize my earnings for 10 years and then invest that money into the humanitarian work? Yeah. Or should I be a data scientist and then up, do the applications of AI and data in the cause that I care about or whatever? Yeah. And yeah, like, I think the more research we do into that field, like the more we'll understand which route of influence we want to take. Yeah. This idea of like, get the money, I agree, but it's just not a realistic opportunity for everyone. That's what we have to talk about as yeah, well. Yeah, that's true. Like, Most people won't even be in the position to make the choice of get the money. Had, he, that talk was in front of, I think it was in Stanford. Anyway. Yeah, Stanford so Business that, School. That, that's, he's tailoring it to that audience that probably yeah. upon graduation will be offered all kinds of figures to, to work in all kinds of places. Exactly. And that's not the reality of everybody. Because, like, you know, I'm just going to play devil's advocate a bit, but some people are getting that money through illicit means, right? They're, you know, dealing drugs or whatever, human yeah. trafficking, you name it. They're trying to get that money and they're getting it. Uh, some of the people that have done that purely for survival have ended up in jail. Now you have the rise of the marijuana millionaires because in California, for example, weed has been legalized. What was it, the fastest growing weed startup? photo team photo was circulating on twitter because they were all white people <laughs> i think it's called ease e yeah -E, and they're like yeah. oh look you know we're in the marijuana economy and it's like yeah well, what about everyone else like still locked up for that tiny little bit of possession Ten thousand or hundred thousand black and brown people in jail no one's talking about them for selling the same product that was illegal a couple yeah. of years ago so yeah i mean to be honest if i was running that company or if I was near that company or an investor in that company, I think there's no way you can't have some kind of model. Where you have to have social of, impact. Yeah, some percentage of profits are going back to kind of helping people come out of prison. Definitely. Or, or like employing a certain number of people yeah. with records. Yeah. Um, like that's a whole other story. So this idea of like get, you know, get that money, like, okay, yeah, fine. If you're privileged and you're doing it in the right way. It's not, it's not an opportunity or a path that open for everyone. That statement needs nuance, yes. essentially. Exactly. You can't just run with it and say, okay, fuck it, I'm going to get all the money I can. And then one day I'll do something great. Yes. But that whole effective altruism thing, um, it's really interesting, actually, because I think when they have looked at it, they basically say that you shouldn't go straight into the into charity. Like a lot of people that yes. I know that were really well-intentioned were like, oh, and they, start, they might have studied like human rights or something for the social or, or the humanities were like, I'm going to go straight into the non-profit uh, charity sector. But the reality is you have no skills. Yeah. Keeping it real, like you're not going to be a, a help to a certain extent. Go get some skills. For sure. You know, whether that's, you know, 
know something about finance, become a data scientist, a developer, a product manager, or whatever, and then leverage that into charity, essentially. Yeah, for sure. Um, Business so development a, skills, yeah, operation skills, anything. anything, but just don't go straight in there. Anything, yeah. So it's quite counterintuitive because I think most people are so well-intentioned, they're like, fuck it, I want to go help straight away kind of thing. And that isn't actually the best use of, of your time or your resources. You asked me about people who I think are really interesting, doing interesting yeah. things in tech, and I think... 23 Code Street is like quite an unconventional go. success story. So Anissa, the founder, um, never went to uni. She she always knew she wanted to do something in entrepreneurship. So she didn't even apply. Um, and she just like threw herself into like different projects. And, you know, I don't even think she's 25 yet. But wow. she's now been running 23 Code Street, teaching women developing skills so, so that they can start... Yeah, um, but you know, it's like run by women for women, teaching coding in a way which is like accessible. Um, And for every like cohort, they sponsor like a woman in India to learn coding as well. So it has like social impact too. That's sick. Would you ever go to a coding bootcamp? Um, if you wanted to learn, yeah, why not? Sure, definitely. I saw that um, for Flatiron. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in the states, right? They're coming to London now. They're coming to London? Yeah, oh, wow. they're doing a free coding workshop. So I know quite a few people have gone to that school. Le Wagon is another one, like a French one. I'll definitely do a coding boot camp. Like, if you send me on it, I'll do it. Like, I've built a few apps, like, using Ruby. I've been to Black Girl Tech. I've done front-end stuff with them, HTML, CSS. I use a lot of the, like, Rails Girls Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They went my uni. Um, but, yeah, like, we're, like... I think sometimes people overvalue the type of creation that you do with developing. Like, Completely. developing is incredible, but if you're a good writer, write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Not you're good at drawing, draw. Like, like, yeah. like, there's other ways you can create things. And there's, like, a lot of pretension in tech, like, oh, I'm a maker. And it's like, man, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. people have been making stuff since, like, the dawn of time. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Yeah, there is a... There were, at one point, I felt like the push for everybody to learn to code was, like... It was too much. It was kind of seen as like a panacea to fix all of society's ills. And I, yeah. I don't think that is the case. Like, And in a business, you need multiple people with different skills. You need somebody who's a business developer or you need mm. somebody who can write amazing copy or market, for example, a product. So, yeah, yeah. I think there's definitely like a need to talk more about like the non-technical people within tech. And also sure, the fact that you can build software without code. Yeah. Like there's companies like Bubble.is, which let you build an app a fully functioning you know content management system community anything mm, without mm. any code and more and more platforms are emerging like this you can build a chatbot right now without any code yeah real talk um you can. you can do you can do anything so it's not really about writing code it's just about like building software because that's what the world will run on yeah real talk shall we wrap up our first ever episode still Ooh. untitled if you've got any <laughs> ideas for names just give us a shout please we're gonna crowdsource that and yeah always open to suggestions feedback any ideas you have we'd love to hear from you yeah cool ciao bye